The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Source family turned the early 1970s Hollywood sex, drugs, and rock and roll counterculture scene into an actual religion. And Father Yod was their god. Roughly 150 of Father Yod's religious followers lived communal style around the Hollywood hills where 14 of them were his young wives, where many others were in his psychedelic jam band. The cult sprang out of a very unlikely place, a popular vegetarian restaurant on LA's Sunset Strip, the Source Restaurant. Young hippies dressed in white robes, serving salads and fresh-squeezed juices to people like John Lennon, Yoko Ono, Marlon Brando, Warren Beatty, and more. The restaurant was so popular, it was even featured in Woody Allen's classic film, Annie Hall, where he mockingly orders alfalfa sprouts and mashed yeast, and he's not happy about it. A few years later, the cult would sell the source restaurant and move to Hawaii to live together on a huge compound, and then the whole thing would come crashing down, quite literally, in a tragic hang-gliding accident. It's a crazy tale, and I can't wait to tell it today on Time Suck. This is Michael McDonald, and you're listening to Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Meat Sack. I'm Dan Cummins. Sir Sucks A Lot. Officially, Sir Sucks A Lot now. I was knighted by the Principality of Sealand last week. Thank you, Time Sucker and Space Lizard Jillian. And you are listening to Time Suck. Got to be a little more eh, formal now, more, more pompous. I'm a, sir, recording in the Suck Dungeon again today with Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley, the High Priestess Harmony Velikamp, the Script Keeper Zach Flannery, and the Queen of the Suck, Lindsay Cummins. How annoying would it be if I talk like that the entire show? Uh, Time Suck is brought to you today by Profiles and Eccentricity. Space Lizards and Time Suckers. Do you wish you knew more about the inner workings and exploits of various creeps, pervs, freaks, weirdos? Of course you do. We're weird here. Profiles and Eccentricity, a Starburns audio podcast, delivers debauched biographies of infamous super freaks. 
you wouldn't believe are real. Previous episodes include Jack Parsons, demon summoning rocket scientist. Mm-hmm, I like it, interested. Victoria Woodhull, millionaire prostitute who ran for president in 1872. Also sounds like a story I would enjoy very much. George Bosk, bank robber who's stolen money to make the most expensive gay porno in history. Okay, I, my interest is peaked. The 1982 Pittsburgh Pirates setting the record for the most cocaine done in one baseball season, 17th century lawyers for animals, Richard Nixon, and many more. Profiles and Eccentricity is a show about real-life weirdos. What makes these characters eccentric could be perversion, superhuman skill, bravery, anything else that just sets them apart from the crowd. Profiles and Eccentricity, it's, it's like scumbag this American life. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. And now it's charity time. On behalf of our Patreon supporters, given $3,200 this month to a charity inspired by our suck on Mormonism, talked about it last week, Holding Out Help. Holdingouthelp.org provides those who come from a polygamous culture the resources needed to transition from isolation to independence. Link in the episode description if you'd like to learn more or donate more yourself. Holdingouthelp.org. Hail Nimrod. Uh, thank you once again for the recent ratings and reviews, for Times also for Scared to Death. Every rating and review helps us so much. Maybe not the one stars. Maybe those help a little, you know, a little less, but not too many of those. Thank you, Nimrod. And thank you again for spreading the suck and spreading my new STD. <laughs> because it's just the initials are, if you'll put it together. Ah, dad joke. Uh, looking forward to seeing many of you in Detroit. As, yeah, I technically Pontiac, Michigan. My special taping this weekend. Very excited for that. Nervous. Nervous in a good way. To record, I think it's going to be album, oh my God, number eight? I don't know. I lose track now. And uh, yeah, and then that'll be a special you can uh, watch hopefully in a few months. Also at the 10,000 Laughs Comedy Festival in Minneapolis, Saturday, October 19th at the Parkway Theater. Get there. Tickets still left for that show. Then off to Helium Comedy Club in Portland, Oregon, following week, October 24th through 26th. The Columbus, Ohio Funny Bone, November 1st through the 2nd. And then Comedy Works in Denver, November 9th, or 7th through the 9th. And then a live time suck at the Denver Comedy Works on the 10th. A uh, funky new water bottle in the store today. Something to put your Lemurian Ormus in. You don't, wanna, you don't want your Lemurian Ormus getting stale. It's a vacuum insulated clean canteen. 20 ounce positive intention and success manifestation hydrator. Keeps hot liquid hot for up to 20 hours. Cold water cold for up to 50 hours. And it's made out of 350% Abraham Hicks power buttons. What is that? It's hard to explain if you don't listen to the secret suck. Even if you do, it's still weird. It's very culty, just like today's show. Now let's talk about today's show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked about cults several times before here on Time Suck. I always love it. Of course we have. We are, we are a cult. You know, the cults are curious. We even have some robes now, right? Sacrifice can't be that far away. When are we getting swords? Probably, probably not, uh, be, you know, won't be too long before that as well. Uh, we've talked about the People's Temple cult, Jim Jones. Marshall Applewhite's Heaven's Gate cult, Manson's family, David Koresh's Branch Davidians, David Berg's Children of God, the Order of the Solar Temple, Scientology, the FLDS. I'm sure another cult or two I'm forgetting right now. Now today we talk about the Source family. Generally, my cult explorations have focused primarily on how terrible these cults are or were. And the ones we've talked about so far have uh, all been, in my opinion, pretty terrible. Jim Jones orchestrated the suicides and murders of over 900 people. Manson got several of his followers to commit murders on his behalf. Marshall Applewhite talked almost 40 people into killing themselves in order to board a magical spaceship flying behind a comet. David Koresh's showdown with the FBI left over 80 people dead. David Berg, creep, 
not only molested some of his underage followers, but he also encouraged other followers to do, uh, you know, the same to more children, to their own children. He also literally pimped out adult female cult members to help recruit new members, hooking for Jesus. Ah, the order of the solar temple ended with the suicide of dozens of members. Scientology continues to actively destroy families under their religious right to name former members suppressive persons when they leave. People, uh, you know, current members are essentially forbidden to talk to, even when an SP, as they call it, is your mother, father, son, daughter, or sibling. The FLDS continues to sanction marriages to child brides, continues to destroy families and followers' lives in countless controlling ways. Compared to all of this, the Source family, not as bad. If you had to join a cult in Southern California in the early 70s, late 60s, you could have made a lot, uh, you know, uh, worse choices. You know, good food, tons of drugs. All their members seem to be pretty fit and attractive. No one getting raped or sacrificed or no one getting talked into murdering anyone or talked into killing themselves. Comparatively, Source family, not a terrible cult. Uh, Does that mean that I think their leader, James E. Baker, a.k.a. Father Yod, old Jimmy B., do I think he was some awesome dude, some spiritual guru, benevolently uh, dispersing helpful God knowledge to his lucky followers? No. No, I think James is a dude who wanted to play God and fuck a bunch of very young women, and he figured out exactly how to do just that. He saw an opportunity to become a cult leader in the crazy spiritual scene of the 1960s and uh, counterculture in LA, an opportunity to accomplish his worship me, my children, for I am your true father goals, and he, and he took that opportunity. I think Father Yod, aka Jimmy B, was a manipulative, ego-driven meat sack who lied to and took advantage of his followers for sexual and financial gain. Do I think he was also probably a lot of fun to be around? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably. Dude knew how to party. He was all about sex, drugs, rock and roll, good times. I bet he was a blast to be around. You know, he made his followers feel great. Decades after his death, some still think, uh, you know, their years in the cult were by far the best years of their lives. A lot of these followers came from broken homes or were going through some period of personal struggle when they met Father Yod. I think the same can be said for most cult's members. And then Father Yod put them on a healthy vegetarian diet. He got them doing yoga, getting stretchy meditating, get your breathing right, take care of yourself, get plenty of rest, have fun. I mean, uh, you know, when you, when you look at footage of the cult members, uh, you know, videos and pictures, they look pretty damn healthy and, and pretty happy. But I don't think Jimmy B was following God's will and leading them like he claimed based on how many young brides he took and the percentage of cult members who were hot young women. I think he was mostly following his dick's will. There's not a lot of information about this cult out there. Luckily, one of uh, Father Yod's 14 wives filmed a lot of the cult's activities when she was a member of the cult and then years later made a great documentary released in 2012 that became the primary source for this suck. I don't think I, we could have done it without that documentary. Uh, her name is Isis Aquarian and she was the official historian for the family. And the name of her documentary is simply The Source Family. As far as I can tell, you can either order the DVD off of a website built specifically to showcase and sell this doc, thesourcedoc.com, or you can watch it like I did uh, on Amazon Prime. Or if you have Prime, it streams for free. Uh, Isis Aquarian, actually Isis the Aquarian, birth name Charlene Peters, recorded and photographed constantly for the entirety of her time with Father Yod until the moment of his death. If you still want to know more about the Source family when the suck is over, I highly recommend watching that. I, I ended up watching it uh, two full times and checking out various sections of it a third and fourth time. Uh, provides great insight you know, into how this cult formed, what they were about, how it ended, what you know, former members have gone on to do with their lives. For the most part, former members speak lovingly in the doc about their former spiritual leader. 
They compare Father Yod to a Jedi master with a God consciousness. Man, that must be nice. My kids don't ever say something like that about me. Lindsay doesn't. Why can't I be a Jedi with a God consciousness? Or God, God consciousness, conscious, something like that. Is it because I can't consistently pronounce anything? Outside of words you'd find in books designed for kids no older than fourth graders? Is that why? Is it because I'm lactose intolerant? Can God Jedis digest cheese more easily? It's going to be an interesting suck today. Looking into the Source family cult really made me think about how to evaluate the overall morality of a cult or a cult leader. Like, are all cults and cult leaders bad? You know, is, is, is it wrong to think that actually? Is it intellectually dismissive to think that because a bunch of people put on white robes, for example, and grow their hair out and do lots of yoga and chant a lot and fuck all the time and live together in some communal compound, is it wrong to think they're wasting their lives? What if they're happier than someone else going to the same cubicle day after day, you know, playing it safe? Having two kids because they feel like they're supposed to, you know, marrying someone they don't really passionately love, but stay with because they're, you know, the kind and stable. Someone who gets, you know, the, the job, stable job, you know, has the kids, the dog, the white picket fence, but deep down inside, bored out of their fucking mind. Why is a traditional life traditionally valued more? Why do many seem to think that that's better? Why is it better? Can't there be good cults? Cults where everyone leads a more fulfilling and happier life than they would have if they weren't in the cult. And if that's true, if there's good cults and there has to be good cult leaders, right? And if that premise is true, then I can ask, was Father Yah or Yod a good cult leader? I'm probably gonna be making that mistake all the time here. He spelled his name uh, Y-O-D, but pronounced it Yod because he's a fucking asshole. Uh, let's look at some of the evidence. See if uh, Father Yod was, was good or bad. For a time, Father Yod convinced his followers, possibly himself, that he was God in the flesh. I, that doesn't sound good. That sounds uh, a, little, a little weird, a little narcissistic, a little egomaniacal. But what if someone thinks that they're God but then, you know, uh, while thinking their God does a lot of good for the world, you know, does a lot of good for the people who believe that they're God. Would they then overall be good or bad? Pro- probably good. You know, Father Yod uh, took on over a dozen wives yeah. in a culture that does uh, not condone a polygamy. Many seem to be underage, 16, 17 years old, probably. California legal age of consent has been 18 for quite some time. The exact ages of many of his spiritual wives, not listed in regards to exactly how old they were when they began to have sex with Father Yod. Just listed in numerous sources being underage girls, quote unquote. And this went on while he was in his late 40s, early 50s. So that's not a good look. That seems bad. That seems pretty bad. Pretty culty. Pretty bad culty. Uh, what if they were all, okay, 18 or older, all consenting adults, all truly felt that their lives were better with Father Yod in it? What if those lives were better in a number of measurable ways? What if they were healthy, drug free, with positive self images, felt fulfilled and happy? Would it be okay then? What if Father Yod let people come and go within the cult? What if he let them talk to, you know, any family members not inside the cult whenever they wanted to? What if he didn't, uh, you know, have members sell their stuff and give their money to the cult? Then it probably wouldn't be so bad. But then it also probably wouldn't be a cult. No, shit. I think if you took away all the elements to make a cult bad, well, it's kind of no longer a cult. We'll have to look at uh, exactly what constitutes a cult a little bit later. So I guess cults probably are always at least a little bit bad which means cult leaders are probably always just a little bit bad at least. But I don't, but I don't count, <laughs> right? Come on. I mean, we call ourselves the cult of the curious and then, you know, technically I'm the leader, but it's, it's not like we live on a compound where I tell you guys I'm God and that, you know, many of you have to sleep with me. We're not, we're not doing that yet. You know, we're not, we're not, even, we're not even doing it, right? We're, we won't, will we? I don't think so. I mean, that would be bad, right? For us to all live together and share our bodies and stuff. I mean, that's, I, I don't think it's a good idea, you know? And, uh, feel silly. I feel like I shouldn't have bought a bunch of acreage in Montana uh, and kind of signed off on a construction project. <laughs> I might've jumped the gun a bit on that. I'm going to talk to, I'm going to talk to the realtor. Uh, no, but seriously, 
While Father Yod is bad, he might come closest, the closest to being a good cult leader uh, than anyone else we've looked at so far. Heaven's Gate leader, Marshall Applewhite. I have a soft spot for him. He would have been the nicest cult leader if he just wouldn't have talked everyone into killing themselves in the end. Uh, Father Yod uh, may be the best cult leader I've ever read about when it comes to uh, giving his followers sweet-ass nicknames. That's, that's pretty good. That's cool. As far as cool nicknames for followers go, uh, the Source family was hands down the best. Everyone's last name was Aquarian. Uh, many of their middle names were The, not kidding. And their first names were all over the place and awesome. There was, of course, Isis the Aquarian. Mention her. Also, Omni the Aquarian. There was Yahuwah the Aquarian. Actually, there was Yahuwah 1, Yahuwah 2, Yahuwah 3. There was Zanaru, Octavius, Jin, Orbit, Electra, Ajax, Sunflower, Harvest Moon, Tree Humper, Biscuit Tits, Honey Bear, Sugar Dick, Taint Wart, Stink Puss. I may have made those last six up. Uh, how sad would that be if you joined a cult where everybody else had like cool cult names like Octavius, Harvest Moon, and, and then you got stuck with like Stink Puss or Taint Wart. No, that, that wouldn't be fun. I, I wouldn't feel like the cult leader respected me. You know, he's like, Harvest Moon, please prepare today's meditation. We'll meet on the front lawn for tribal chanting in five minutes to prepare for the hot tub tantric orgy this evening. Yes, Father. Thank you. And you! Taint wart. Please fill the hot tub with water. Have stink puss. Set food, drink, and lube out for everyone. And then I want you two to go into town and hand out cult pamphlets and do not come back before 2 a.m. I can't risk you two killing the, the hot sex hot tub vibe. Other members had names that sounded like various grunts and moans like uh, Aum, <laughs> Father Yod's, uh, Yod's first wife, who was really not pleased when he took on additional wives, by the way. Uh, Yoa, uh, Father Father Yod, he actually uh, called himself Yahuwah, as I mentioned earlier. Changed it from James Baker. The most scandalous name uh, this white-bearded Gandalf-looking motherfucker gave to one of these trusting young folks was when he named a just-turned 16-year-old girl who had been hanging around him since, he was, uh, since she was 12. He gave her the nickname of Heaven. And that sounds pervy to me. Definitely wasn't a good cult leader. Young girls and young women, they seem to consistently be the Heaven most of these cult-leading dudes uh, were seeking. Uh, today, in addition to digging into the Source family cult, we're also going to look into the counterculture movement of the 1960s and 70s that spawned this cult and so many others. We'll revisit, revisit a few of those other cults as well, many of which we've already sucked. Uh, I'll remind you why so many American cults came out of the late 60s and 70s. A lot of America's youth were looking for a, a new kind of spirituality and mysticism at that time, and they found it in self-proclaimed spiritual gurus like Father Yod. This topic also gives us an excuse to examine the motivations people have that have led them to join cults and how cults provide the answers to the questions these people seek. It's going to get weird today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want it any other way. Cult of the Curious, meet the Source family cult. Hail Nimrod. Here we go. The Source family cult was the ultimate Southern California hippie sex cult. Well-groomed, fashion-conscious, young, pretty flower children with sun-kissed skin, sun-bleached hair, seeking spiritual enlightenment. And a guy named James E. Baker, who would change his name, as we said, to Father Yod, during his transformation from restaurateur to a spiritual leader, was more than happy to enlighten him. So who was James Baker? We'll dig into a lot of his life in today's timeline, but uh, a lot of info about him doesn't really fit neatly into a timeline because in true mythical cult leader, spiritual guru fashion, not a lot of dates assigned to the various moments of his life. A sense of mystery surrounds him. They're just stories, you know, of things that may or may not have happened at roughly, you know, certain points. Some seem very plausible. Others don't. 
Many of the stories were told by either him or his followers, who I assume mostly got their stories from him. So he's the primary source by far, far uh, you know, in regards to the story of his own life. So that's, that's not ideal. In the documentary on Amazon about him, created by his followers, there's uh, shots of old newspaper clippings that seem to verify a lot of this information, but these sources are impossible to find online. Both the script keeper, Zach Flanner, and I spent a lot of time looking everywhere we could think of, Googling every variation of keywords we could think of, and nothing, nada. And I highly doubt the cult members who made the doc uh, would give me those newspaper clippings, you know, to verify if they're legit or not. If I asked, I doubt they'd be real receptive to my intentions. Hey, uh, hi, my name is Dan Cummins, and uh, I was hoping I could access all the articles, legal records, interviews, etc. that you have about Father Yod doing a podcast about the man. Uh, some of you still worship as a dude with the God consciousness, and uh, I'm probably going to end up shitting on him quite a bit, mostly because of the teen fucking, you know, when he was middle-aged. Uh, anywho, uh, what about those sources? Uh, hello? Hello? Ah, it's so weird how they accidentally hung up the phone on me again. Uh, also weird how they accidentally said, never call me again, again. Uh, why are these sources so hard to find? You know, I'm guessing because Father Yo died in 1975 and recent public interest in his life hasn't been quite strong enough for anyone to dedicate an enormous amount of time to do all of the painstaking investigative journalism digging it would take to travel to all the places he supposedly lived, verify he did in fact live in these places, then go to local libraries, sift through years of newspaper clippings, county records to find out if he actually killed this guy or if he did win this obscure local weightlifting competition, etc. And also they might've just kind of made this shit up. There might not be original articles for some of this. You know, I don't necessarily trust these people uh, in their presentation of him in, in certain ways. So keep that in mind uh, when I talk about him today, especially when talking about his pre-cult life. I'm relying on information that comes primarily from him. Not a lot of sources available, ironically, for a group called the Source family. Uh, if even a quarter of what is out there about this guy is true, well, then he was the Chuck fucking Norris of cult leaders. Standing anywhere from six foot three to six foot six, depending on who talks about him, with a muscular build. His former followers are convinced he was a weightlifting champion, expert martial artist with hands so deadly he had to register them as lethal weapons. He was a Rambo-like war hero, bank robber, dude who sometimes had to kill a fool with lethal hands. I don't know about the weightlifting champion part and the deadly hands, but based on video and pictures, he was, he was a tall mountain of a man. He did have broad shoulders, pecs, some guns. He certainly had his followers convinced he was tough as shit. One of his followers, Octavius, <laughs> the Aquarian, uh, said in the documentary, he could kick anybody's ass. He was a millionaire multiple times. He shot airplanes out of the sky. He killed people. Okay. Uh, he also was based on numerous interviews, professionally very successful. He was the owner of several successful Los Angeles area restaurants. And from those restaurants, his family cult would grow. This part of his life seems to be pretty well verified. Jim was a hardcore nature guy. Vegetarian as well as a student of Vedantic theology and philosophy. Baker, before uh, leading his followers, was once a follower of Yogi Bhajan, a teacher of uh, Kundalini Yoga, who had, you know, like a number of other spiritual leaders, uh, moved from India to Los Angeles in the late 60s. More on Baker's guru and the overall guru subculture of LA in the 60s and 70s, a little bit later. Baker, during, his, uh, during the 1960s, got very into spirituality. A lot of people were becoming very spiritual at that time, like the Beatles, tons of other bands, intellectuals, lots of celebrities, a significant portion of America's youth. Timothy Leary was teaching future leaders at Harvard to change the world and change themselves. Turn on, tune in, drop out. James Baker, when he was 43 years old, sometime in 1965 or 1966, was completely ready to turn on, tune in, and drop out, and he did. According to his documentary, he made a lot of money, but he wasn't happy. 
And then he met an unnamed flower child and set off an entirely new life trajectory. There's an audio clip of Jim speaking in the doc about this. He says, can you imagine when Jim Baker at the age of 43 fell in love with that little hippie? And he does refer to himself in the third person like a douche as well. 19 years old. What did it do to his head? I wanted to know. That's kind of how he talks still. What's going on with these flower children? And there I was, miserable, alcoholic, lots of money, bored to death with it all. All right, well, cool. You know, some guys get a convertible or a motorcycle or a mistress when they go through a midlife crisis. Jim Baker started a fucking cult. After getting really into the flower child counterculture movement and following a, that yogi guru, Bajan, for a little while, uh, Baker becomes disenchanted with Bajan when Bajan declares that he's not God. Baker, being the talented entrepreneur, cocky dude that he was, seems to have just thought, all right, well, I guess I'll become God then. 1969, after a few previous successful health restaurant ventures in the LA area, Father Yod founds the Source Restaurant, and it does very well. Makes a lot of money. A lot of pretty young hippies start working there. People start giving up their careers and all their possessions, literally, to Father Yod just to work at the Source Restaurant, doing dishes or serving or whatever. There are some great interviews in the doc from people who were approached to do this and uh, either admitted that they did, in fact, give up everything they had to join the cult or thought Father Yod was out of his fucking mind and that everyone who did agree to give all their possessions to the cult was out of their minds as well for doing so. Uh, the Source Restaurant became a real Hollywood Sunset Boulevard, kind of it spot. All the popular actors and actresses and musicians and artists in the Hollywood scene were hanging out there in 69, early 70s. You can see Goldie Hawn, you know, eating a sunbeam salad with Joni Mitchell. Steve McQueen stopping by to grab a fresh squeeze organic juice and chat with the guys from Yes. Dustin Hoffman, De Niro, John Lennon. Everybody was juicing and salad, salading it up. It was, it was cool, man. It was the coolest. Source Restaurant, later the Source family itself, espoused a philosophy that included kindness to animals, a raw vegetarian diet, cotton-only clothing, and not touching any vagina a day over the age of 25. Okay, maybe, maybe not that last part, but it feels like Father Yod believed that last part. Uh, Father Yod, interestingly, would somehow become viewed as a huge supporter and defender and fighter for women's liberation and women's rights while also taking 13 spiritual wives in addition to his legal wife, women he'd have an unknown number of children with. I, I do not see me ever pulling that off with Lindsay, right? Just how do you, how do you approach that conversation? Baby, of course I love you. In fact, in fact, hear me out. In fact, I love you so much. I love you so well. I do such a good job of helping you feel supported and cherished, recognizing the strong, independent woman that you are, that to me, it feels wrong not to make other women feel that same way. I mean, think about how many women are being mistreated by sexist, chauvinistic pigs who make them feel less than a man. Men who subjugate and control them instead of building them up and worshiping their divine femininity. Is that what you want? Is that what you want for those women to be mistreated? Is that what you want for them? What if we could help them? What if we could show them another way? What if together we could show them love? What if you could be a living example of what a strong, fierce, gorgeous, wise, independent woman looks like, and I could show them what a loving, supporting man looks like? Everybody wins. You get a lot of other strong women to mentor and befriend. I get a bunch of young pussy to put my dick in face. In. I mean, what? Oh, my heck. Where, where did that come from? What I meant to say was, I, I get to help a lot of, you know, women <clears throat> chief into, it depends. I'll show myself out. Uh, actually, now that I say that stuff out loud, it, it doesn't sound too unreasonable. <laughs> I kid. 
Uh, even if Lindsay were to allow me to do that, I would actually truly never want uh, <laughs> any other woman in my life, let alone an extra 13. Holy shit. I stress out over trying to be a good partner to one other meat sack. I can't imagine trying to keep up with, you know, baker's dozen more. I would for sure forget at least half their birthdays. Uh, I'd be, I'd be uh, you know, consistently forgetting at least two of their names on a daily basis. Even if I did change all of their last names to Aquarian, like a weirdo. But Father Yod pulled it off. I don't know, maybe he really was God. In addition to having a cult harem, Father Yod also ended up with a cult band. Oh, a sweet, sweet band. Actually, he had a few bands. And there were several talented musicians who would join the group and jam at the cult compound. And apparently none of those talented uh, musicians uh, helped record the albums, as you're going to find out here soon. Eventually, Father Yod would have a recording studio built and fill it with the uh, top-of-the-line gear, this little compound from 1973 to 1975. Father Yod's bands, mostly known as Yahuwa 13, would record long psychedelic jams and then press these live albums onto vinyl and then sell these records at the Source restaurant. Uh, these records have not at all culty titles like The Savage Sons of Yahuwah, To the Principles for the Children, and their classic, Penetration, <laughs> an Aquarian Symphony. Uh, and, and, if you, and if you have one, don't sell it unless somebody's going to pay you a lot of money for it. Uh, not kidding about that. These records are highly sought after collector's items in the world of trippy, dippy, hippie cult music, uh, which is a very small world, thank God. I've been treating our secret suckers to some Source Family cult ear candy for quite a while now, and I don't want to deny the rest of you. Uh, for the rest of you, get ready. Oh, get ready to either become obsessed with your new favorite jam band. Step aside, fish. Get, get out of here, whatever the Grateful Dead's called now. Uh, or you're going to want to jam a letter opener into your ear hole and fucking kill yourself just so you'll never have to ever hear this again. This is from their classic album, Penetration. Here we go. Feeling culty. Oh, nice. Sitting in a circle, dudes in white robes. Lots of long hair, lots of weed, lots of psychedelics. They're doing meditation for several hours before this, which was really how they would warm up. And then just play this horrible sounds for several hours in a row. Oh! I feel like we just found some music more annoying than air banjoing. For those of you who hate the air banjo, would you rather have that? Would you, huh? It's a little better. Maybe now you appreciate it a little bit more. Uh, right now, if you're thinking, how could some dude that bad at music ever convince people he was God? Well, it was a different time. And before we dive deeper into the source cult, let's explore that time. Let's look back at the counterculture of the 1960s, early 70s, an era I often think uh, had to be one of the most uh, exciting times in history to be young and single in America especially in San Francisco or Los Angeles, right before we explore the counterculture. Time for a quick word from a sponsor. Time Suck is brought to you today by Away Travel. Been seeing more and more Away luggage out there as I ping pong around the country, touring, doing stand-up dates. Jimmy Wisman over Small Town Murder, fellow frequent flyer, just telling me how much he likes his Away luggage. Always, uh, you know, uh, or Away knows that everyone has a different travel style. That's why they make their own carry-on in an array of colors. I have navy blue. They have two sizes. I have the bigger carry-on and two materials, a strong yet flexible polycarbonate. That's what I have. And an anodized aluminum. Keep seeing more of those out there at airports. And these suitcases designed to last a lifetime. I've yet to have mine break down in any way at all. And they've got a lot of miles on them right now. And if any part of your suitcase breaks, Away's standout customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced ASAP. And thanks to their 100-day trial, 
on everything Away makes. If you decide it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund. No ifs, ands, or asterisks. My favorite thing is the USB charger that comes with the carry-on. Pops out so you can put it in your backpack, fanny pack, purse, merce, whatever. It will fully charge my iPhone five times over. I take it out of my luggage when I board the plane. I used to keep my phone charged on flights. And then uh, sometimes even when I get back to the uh, hotel, I put up my backpack and just use it for, for the weekend when I'm away from home. You know, at coffee shops, if I can't find an outlet and I need a charge, I just have my little away charge there. It's awesome. So for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash timesuck. Use promo code timesuck during checkout. Pretty straightforward. That's awaytravel.com slash timesuck. Use the promo code timesuck for 20 bucks off a suitcase because getting away means getting more out of every trip to come. Link in the episode description. Sponsor button link in the Time Suck app. Now let's talk about counterculture. Let's talk about a time when nobody had good suitcases, when nobody had anything to charge. No cell phones. That's hard to imagine right now. Uh, The anti-establishment, anti-war, pro-civil rights counterculture movement spread throughout the Western world in the 1960s, lasted into the mid-1970s. The movement involved large groups of dirty, filthy hippies. Kidding about the dirty part, kind of. Uh, there's a stereotype, you know, that you know, hippies are dirty. Based on the hippie type folks that I've encountered, ah, I will say there does t- tend to be a tendency um, to, you know, uh, maybe not use deodorant as consistently as, as other members of, of non-hippie cultures. Maybe not be, uh, you know, as into hot showers or antibacterial soap. But not all hippies, you know, use massive amounts of patchouli in place of showers and soap. I do know that. The hippies of the 60s and 70s were predominantly extremely idealistic people in their teens and 20s. You know, those who rejected many of the status quo beliefs held by their parents and grandparents and their fellow youth who were cool not breaking away from the belief system of the generation before them. They rejected beliefs in racial segregation, women's traditional roles, faith in the U.S. federal government, faith in factories, corporations, big business in general. They didn't want to be company men or stay-at-home women. You know, they rejected a belief in the military-industrial complex. They were anti-war. They weren't worried about the Cold War spread of communism because many of them weren't necessarily ideologically opposed to communism. Some were outright in favor of it because they hated capitalistic materialism. Communism in theory, at least socialism, much better suited to communal, let's all just chill, hippie lifestyle living. They expressed their rejection of society in a variety of ways. While their fathers were clean-shaven and buttoned up, clothing-wise and emotionally, hippies let their hair down in a variety of ways. They literally let their hair down, grown it out nice and long, grown out lots of facial hair as well. They also loosened up emotionally, talked about their feelings, got in touch with their inner selves, which made their parents sick. Uh, They rejected their parents' values, right? They rejected their parents' career values. They didn't want to get a nine to five. They didn't want to grind their way to the corporate world. They didn't want to work at the factory. They want to make money as an artist. Many wanted to get away from money altogether if possible, live on communes, just barter their way through life. Now, whittle, whittle you some shit in exchange for a fucking vegetable or some fruit. They want to come home at 6 p.m., grab a cocktail, watch the evening news. They wanted to finish having sex for the third time that day by six, light up another joint, maybe drop some acid, keep the TV, shut the fuck off, and play some tunes. Play some of those sweet, sweet tunes. God. Yeah. Maybe not those tunes. Maybe better tunes. Uh, they didn't want to have polite conversations about what was happening at work or in the news. Be sure to avoid bringing up anything taboo. <laughs> don't, don't want to rock the boat. Uh, they want to have passionate conversations about anything and everything, especially if it was taboo. They didn't want to go to church every Sunday morning and then quietly have missionary-style sex that evening in bed with the lights off. They wanted to skip church and fuck like animals in the living room with the blinds open. And I got to say, overall, it sounds like being a hippie was pretty fucking awesome. Hail Lucifina! 
I'm still thinking about time travel after last week. And if someone can figure out how to get the impossible and get a time machine, uh, I think I want to pop into the late 60s, early 70s, you know, just from time to time. Head to SoCal. You know, fuck hiking through Europe. I want to take Lindsay on a vacation to Berkeley or the Hollywood Hills, and we can fuck our way through 1967. Uh, counterculture hippies were definitely not interested, like their parents before them, in doing what they were told, respecting traditional authority figures. They didn't just respect their elders because they were older. They rebelled. They were ready to question their teachers, parents, pastors, and government. If they didn't like something, they weren't afraid to protest. The subjects of their protest covered a myriad of topics, including racial segregation, discrimination against minorities, addressing widespread poverty, environmental pollution, the war in Vietnam, and much more. They fought for the freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly. The music and art of the counterculture expressed many of these ideals. Musicians weren't just singing about innocent romantic crushes on Peggy Sue or getting all shook up or about being a hound dog or looking for an earth angel, earth angel. No, musicians were singing about hard drug abuse. The corruption of the government, war, wanton, unmarried sex. There were songs like Sam Cooke's A Change is Gonna Come, Dylan's Masters of War, and Creedence Clearwater Revival's Fortunate Son. God damn, that's a good song, man. I turn that CCR one up every time I hear it, right? Some folks are born made to wave the flag. Ooh, the red, white, and blue, no. And when the band plays Hail to the Chief, ooh, they point the cannon at you, low, low. It ain't me. God damn, that song, man, I can't sing it for shit, but Jesus, if you want to get some, that song gives me the chills every time I, man, I fucking crank that one. Anyway, TV was changing. Gone was the Andy Griffith show, wrapped up in 1968. Great show, but about as edgy as a softball. No one was talking about getting high or interracial relationships in Mayberry. Opie wasn't struggling with his homosexuality. Aunt B wasn't hitting a joint from time to time or dropping some LSD. But then the counterculture hit, and soon shows like you know, Andy Griffith were being replaced by shows like All in the Family which debuted in early 71. Archie Bunker and his dysfunctional family talked about issues previously considered off-limits for U.S. network television. Racism, anti-Semitism, infidelity, homosexuality, women's liberation, rape, religion, miscarriages, abortion, the Vietnam War, on and on. The world of film was changing as well. Also in 1971, A Clockwork Orange was released. Stanley Kubrick's dystopian masterpiece based on Anthony Burgess's 1962 novel of the same name. A Clockwork Orange employs disturbing Violent images, harshly comments on social, political, and economic subjects in a dystopian near-future Britain. It was a film that would have been protested a decade earlier, maybe five, six, seven years earlier, but it was nominated for several Academy Awards in 1971. Sexual norms and social mores regarding sexuality changing rapidly in the 60s and 70s as well. Here's a measurable indicator of that change. In 1960, only roughly 20 adult movie theaters existed in America. All were either in Los Angeles or New York, almost all of them in Los Angeles. By 1970, there were roughly 750 of these theaters scattered all across the nation, even in the Bible Belt. You know, those involved in the counterculture movement in the 60s also became involved in a long and lengthy protest against the Vietnam War. A growing anti-war, make love, not war, sentiment soon spread from America to Western Europe. There were hippies in Paris, London, Amsterdam, Rome, West Berlin, Mexico City, Sydney, Australia, all over South America and elsewhere. In the Czech Republic, hippie youth were seen as unkempt and were banned from most public places. In some instances, thousands of long-haired youth were arrested, you know, rounded up, forced to cut their hair. Then they start growing it right back out. All over the world, people are saying, fuck the man and raging against the machine. Some of them maybe even plucking out their protests on some air banjo. Tang tong, tang, tang tong, tang, tang tong, tang tong, tang, tang tong, tang, tang tong, tang tong. Huh? Come on. That's fucking better than this. 
a little bit better than now. What a crazy generation to grow up in. In Poland, uh, nothing changed, actually. Everyone there was already dirty and they didn't smell good or cut their hair. You know, everyone there already rebelled. They rebelled against everything. They were already rioting when someone, you know, told them to do something decent or sensible, like stop eating their own shit or stop pushing knives and light sockets. And of course, I'm kidding. <laughs> they didn't have light sockets. They lived in caves. I uh, love you, Polish suckers. That should, that should trick them. Uh, but for real, much of the world's youth, definitely many of America's youth, radically shifting away, radically shifting away from the values that their parents had instilled in them. Thousands and thousands of predominantly teenagers and 20-somethings, you know, cutting their cultural anchors, cutting the chains of belief that tied them to their parents' values. That must have been incredibly liberating. With this new freedom also came a lot of confusion. And with confusion comes, you know, a lot of questioning, a lot of searching for answers. You know, if I'm not going to live the life of my mother and father, what kind of life am I going to live? I'm not going to follow their beliefs. What am I going to believe in? And many members of the counterculture, so many of them, so very young, focused on finding something or someone to follow somebody different, a different belief system to believe in. We humans are herd animals. And if you're like me, uh, even if you're like me and comfortable, maybe too comfortable with being alone, you know, you also still want to belong to something. You want to be a part of something, believe in something. You know, even if the group you want to be a part of is a group of people who hate groups, the anti-group group, you still want to at least be part of that, right? Very few people are true her hermits choosing to live entirely alone, not interacting with the outside world in any way unless they have to for survival. Some of these young hippies in their quest for something or someone, you know, something new, they found exactly that in a man who became known as Father Yod, a man who was their father's age, but didn't act like their father. He didn't care if they grew their hair out. His hair and facial hair had reached full wizard level for fuck's sake. He didn't care if they said fuck. He said fuck. He didn't care if they wanted to listen to psychedelic jam band rock. Nah, he hoped that not only did they want to listen to it, he hoped that, you know, that they, they would play it so he could join his sweet band. You don't even have to be good at music to join dad's band. New dad's the best. Father Yo didn't want to lecture you on drug abuse. He wanted to abuse drugs with you. He wasn't against protest. He wanted to protest with you. He wanted to talk about deep shit with you. He wanted to fuck the same girls you wanted to fuck. Or he wanted to fuck you. And you loved that because you probably had daddy issues and he knew that. In the 1960s, early 70s, Father Yod was far from the only American cult leader. And the Source family was far from the only American cult that, you know, that you could join. The counterculture was full of Father Yotes. So many cults and cult-like communes to join. Before naming off some specific ones, let's go over what constitute a cult or constitutes a cult, excuse me, how they work, what overall types of cults, you know, there were. Uh, or I guess there are, you know, there's still cults out there. A cult is technically a group or a movement held together by a shared commitment to a charismatic leader or an ideology. It has a belief system that has the answers to all of life's questions, offers a special solution to be gained only by following the leader's rules, Requires a high level of commitment from at least some of the members. And I know that sounds a lot like uh, religion, uh, but there are differences. You know, we've gone over in previous sucks. Basically, a religion has a leader who tells you to worship God, while a cult usually uh, has a leader who is God or who God only talks to. You know, a religion guides you in life, a cult controls you. And if you think that those rules kind of leave the line between certain accepted religions and certain cults a little blurry, well, you know, <laughs> you're, you're right. Uh, let's move on. Every cult needs these four things. Charismatic leader, transcendent belief system, multiple systems of control and systems of influence. Let's look at the first one, a charismatic leader. Somebody's gotta be the boss, especially when the droves of naive teenagers with daddy issues want their new daddy to be their God and their lover too. From David Koresh to Charles Manson to Father Yod, they all acted like father figures with hard-ons. 
All three were also singers and bands. So watch out, I guess, for Bearded Weirdos, you know, with original songs. Uh, former followers all say these guys were extremely charismatic. They knew how to make each of their followers feel so special. They had star power. The second ingredient to a functional cult is a transcendent belief system. You got to have one. In other words, you need to have a, a somewhat decent way of telling people what they want to hear, right? You're not a slut, Becky. You don't need to learn how to discipline yourself or set goals. Just follow your own universal truth aura. Follow the meta essence of your quantum center source matter fields to become the infinite universal love goddess head vessel that you've always been and forever shall be. Also, don't worry about what any kind of judgment is out there because I'm God. You know, I'm taking, I'm taking care of you. I'm taking you and the rest of my followers to a special heaven designed just for us where we get to smoke weed and drop acid and just come forever. That's a good sales pitch for cult recruitment. You know, that's way better than just like, oh, I don't know. I don't really know what the hell is going on. You know, I just think we should try and be good people. Just probably fucking hope for the best or something. Boring. Get out of here with that weak-ass cult pitch. Yeah, yeah. Go now, get with that weak-ass cult pitch. Part of any good transcendent belief system is mastering the art of word salad. That's important. Right, just being like a, like a, a high-functioning conspiracy theorist, right? You got to fucking say a lot of things that sound meaningful even when they're not. How to do this is you want to you pepper in a bunch of ma happy magic words that people like and then a few real kind of sciencey words and concepts that actually do make sense while also leaving the message just vague enough to allow your followers to interpret the message in, in the way most pleasing to them. Let me throw out a little, a little hypothetical cult talk uh, scenario I whipped together in about 10 seconds. So you want to know what lies in the great beyond? What does God have in store for you? Where is God? What about God's wrath and judgment? First, do you not think it wise to worry about what your purpose is here before worrying about other realms than these? God is everywhere. God is in the water that exists in abundance across this world. The water that makes up 60% of your own body. The water that grows the crops that feed you. Is that not miraculous? Is that not the power of God shown to you so clearly? What does God have in store for you? Does God not provide water so that you can live? Do you not feel most alive when there is joy in your heart and a light in your soul? Does God not want you to feel joy? So why do you worry about being punished for pleasure? Why would God grow angry over you following the path he has laid so clearly out before you? Does God punish the deer for playing in the meadow? God also created does God punish the seal for playing in the sea? God also created. Why do you worry about sexual pleasure? Does sexual pleasure not bring you joy? Does God not give your sexual organs to you to use? Does God punish the dog for mounting more than one mate? Does God punish the lioness for sexually submitting to the lion? Like water, sex also abundant if you allow yourself to drink from it. So drink the water. Play in the field, please the lion. And am I not God's lion? Is your father not God's lion? Why would God make me his lion and not allow me to be pleased by my lionesses? See, <laughs> I think I just did it. I think I just did it. I think I just did it. Gotta hope somebody was walking by the, the window when I was saying all that. <laughs> it's fucking what? Uh, <laughs> see, I took something. It made a little scientific sense. You know, I threw in some water details. You know, we have it everywhere. It's part of us. You know, pivoted from there to being part of God's plan. Pivot it from there. That's the person fucking taking off. If you could hear that motorcycle just jet down, you might not be able to pick it up, but I'm picturing somebody just like, let's get out of here. Go on. Come on, Susan. Let's get out of here. Something weird's going on in that building. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I, I pivot into, you know, how God wants you to fuck me. 
And then I also avoided answering a tough question. What happens, you know, after this, you know, I, th I think I did some pretty good word salading right there. In the case of Father Yod, he cobbled together his favorite parts of several religions and spiritual practices to give himself, you know, a, a lot of word salad ingredients to pick from when he was rambling. Uh, he used all these uh, different kind of uh, spiritual sources to come up with his own religious commandments. Yeah, Father Yod published the 10 Aquarian Commandments in a pamphlet called Liberation. He likes Asian words, right? His album Penetration and his pamphlet Liberation. Uh, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of some other Asian words. Uh, here, here are those commandments. Number one. Obey and live by the teachings of your earthly spiritual father. Nice. Get right to it. Rule number one, listen to me, motherfucker. Uh, number two, love your earthly spiritual father more than yourself. Hmm, nice follow-ups, number one. Not only do you need to listen to me, your earth father, you need to love me more than you love yourself. Number three, harm not one of your body parts, either by neglect, food, drink, or knife. It's a fucking weird one. <laughs> Way to get weird, weirdly specific with a knife detail. I mean, can you, can you still shoot yourself? Uh, did they just have like a big problem with cutters or something? That was that was odd. Uh, number four, allow each vibration to complete its own cycle without interference. Okay. Uh, number five, possess nothing you do not need and share all that you have. Another good one. I uh, I interpret that as give me your shit. Uh, sell your stuff. Give the proceeds to me. Number six, the man and his woman are one. Let nothing separate them. I read that as, don't fuck my wives, okay? Uh, they're, they're for God. Number seven, squander not your creative force and lust. Come together only when the three vibrations of the physical, emotional, and mental are in harmony with spiritual love. I also read that as, seriously, don't fuck my wives. They're, they're mine, okay? Number eight, each morning, join your vibrations with the ascending currents of universal life energy. Using the method your earthly spiritual father has taught you. Oh, that one is very 70s. Number nine, do, uh, do every act energetically, intelligently, truthfully, and lovingly. Vague, good and vague, nice, right? Interpret that how you want. Uh, it's just some kind of nice, vague thing. Uh, number 10, when your commandments have been mastered, leave the house of your earthly spiritual father and do the work of your heavenly father. Nice ending. Worship God. Don't forget to do that. Just, you know, just don't do it until you've given me all your shit and loved me more than yourself and obeyed me completely and given your body to me. <laughs> Uh, the third ingredient to having a sweet-ass cult is to have a sweet-ass system of control. Cults always have some kind of system of controlling their members. Mind control is the one that people think of first. There are many ways to persuade an already very open and credulous mind. Group think along with dancing, chanting, drugs help as well. Matching sweaters, suits, robes help. <laughs> robes. That's, that's when we got to start worrying, right? When we have a bunch of robes. <laughs> uh, there are systems of influence, right? There's that one as well. Successful cults have effective ways of influence. Paranoia and supernatural threats are popular. More specifically, paranoid fears of a rapidly approaching apocalypse seem to be by far the favorite cult leader system of influence. Uh, now let's briefly look at some of the many categories of cults. Source family was a unique mixture of a few of the following different cult types. Uh, the first subgroup is Eastern cults, which are characterized by belief in spiritual enlightenment, reincarnation attaining the Godhead, nirvana from cultures like uh, India, China, Tibet, other spiritual practices of Eastern Asia. Father Yod, way into this. The Source family was mostly an Eastern cult, coming out of Hindu and Sikh guru subculture of 1960s LA. Uh, usually the leader of this kind of cult draws from and distorts an Eastern-based philosophy or religion, such as Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, Sikhism, Sufism. Sometimes members learn to disregard worldly possessions and practice a severe form of self-discipline and abstain from all forms of indulgence. 
which may include celibacy. Father Yod, not into that part. Not at all. Eastern practices and influence techniques include extensive meditation, repeated mantras, altered states of consciousness, celibacy or sexual restrictions, fasting and dietary restrictions, special dress or accoutrements, altars and induced trance through chanting, spinning, other techniques. A lot of work. A lot of work to follow those belief systems. You don't just get to show up on Sunday and then move on with your life. You got to fucking spin. You got to chant. You got to wear pajamas in public. You got to wear the right bracelets and shit. Uh, Next subgroup is Western religion cults. In the West, religious cults marked by a belief in God or some higher being, salvation, the afterlife, sometimes combined with an apocalyptic view of human life on earth. The leader generally reinterprets scripture, usually from an Abrahamic text like the Bible, Quran, or Talmud, often claims to be a prophet, if not the Messiah. Father Yod did a little bit of this as well, right? He was the prophet. He was God on earth. He was the father. Uh, Typically, these groups are strict, sometimes using physical punishments as paddling, uh, you know, uh, particularly of children, often members are encouraged to spend a great deal of time spreading the word, practices and techniques of control include speaking in tongues, chanting, praying, isolation, lengthy study sessions, faith healing, self-flagellation, many hours spent evangelizing, witnessing, uh, or making public confessions. Uh, Father Yo was not into any of this, except maybe the chanting, a lot of chanting, this music. If you can hear the chanting coming through the wall of... Horrible, painful noise. God, it's so weird that they didn't go on some big worldwide arena tour, right? It's so strange that Led Zeppelin and The Who didn't open up for them. Uh, Cults don't have to be religious or spiritually based. Political, racist-based terrorist cults are fueled by belief in changing society, revolution, overthrowing the perceived enemy, getting rid of evil forces. The leader in this group of cults still professes to be all-knowing and all-powerful. In many more cases, adherents may be drawn to an extreme ideology rather than a specific leader. These groups tend to operate as cells, often in secret. These groups and or individuals often armed and engage in violent activities, including arson, kidnapping, bombing, and suicide bombs. Such groups typically meet in secret with coded language, handshakes, often ritualized practices. Members consider themselves an elite core ready to go to battle. Practices like, like, like a terror cell, you know, practices and influence techniques include paramilitary training, reporting on one another. Fear, struggle, or criticism sessions, instilled paranoia, violent acts to prove loyalty, long hours of indoctrination, enforced guilt based on race, class, or religion. Source family didn't really fit into that category. Still more cult subgroups. Next pocket of the cult universe is steeped in self-help pseudoscience, psychotherapy, human potential, and mass transformational cults. Uh, these groups are motivated by numerous beliefs that all kinds, uh, you know, or uh, that all kind of a. Uh, you know, uh, uh, searching equates to this goal of personal transformation and personal improvement. You know, just don't be a waste of atoms and electrons and, and quarks and shit. Learn to learn to be fixed by a, I don't know, quantum light source kind of thing. Uh, the leader of these sorts of groups is a self-proclaimed omniscient with unique insights, like, you know, kind of like a, like a super therapist or some kind of quantum life coach. Practices and techniques include group encounter sessions, intense probing into personal life and thoughts. Kind of reminds me of Scientology, you know, altered states brought about by hypnosis, other trans-induction mechanisms, uh, use of drugs, dream work, past life or future life therapy, rebirthing or regression, submersion tanks, shame, intimidation, verbal abuse, humiliation in private or group settings. I definitely think there are a few elements there in uh, Scientology. Modern cultist leader Teal Swan would fit largely into that category. Father Yo did not, not really. He did fit strongly to the next group, uh, New Age Cults. Right, these are the kind of cults that, uh, you know, name their members stuff like Moonbeam, Olympus, and Electra, you know, Taint Warts. 
<laughs> Source family cult definitely had new age elements. Uh, new age cults founded on belief in this, uh, you know, you are God philosophy. In this kind of cult, you get your power through internal knowledge. A lot of this comes from the desire to know the future and or, you know, find a quick fix for a lifetime of bad choices. Often the leader of this subcult presents herself or himself uh, as a mystic, an ultra spiritual being, a channeler, a medium, a juggler, an accordion player. Maybe not those last two. New age groups, more than some other types, tend to have female leaders. Members rely on new age paraphernalia such as crystals, very crystally, astrology, runes, shamanistic devices, holistic medicine, herbs, spirit beans, tarot cards, magic cards, you know, all that kind of stuff. Practices and influence uh, techniques include magic tricks, altered states, peer pressure, channeling, UFO sightings, chakra adjustments, faith healing, claiming to speak through or an ascended master, as well as spiritual entities and the like. There are also occult and satanic cults. Mm-hmm. Occult, satanic, black magic cults generated through belief in supernatural powers. Sometimes, sometimes actually worship the, the Christian Satan for some weird reason. This satanic, very specific, small subset has always baffled me, right? Is this type of Satanist, which, which is very different than mainstream Satanist, by the way. We're actually going to suck the church of Satan Halloween week uh, very soon and learn what it actually means to be satanic. But if you're this kind of Bible-based Satanist, doesn't that mean that you read the Bible and believe it, but then pick the losing side, right? I <laughs> guaranteed to lose. Weird. Are you just a masochist? Why, why would you do that? Uh, the leader of Satanic cults usually must profess to be evil incarnate, which is fucking hilarious to me. Let's profess he's evil. I just, I just picture this guy being questioned by members who, who they're just not sure if he knows if he's evil enough from time to time. Are you sure you're evil? You're pretty nice to Ricky yesterday. I mean, you did use your Starbucks gift card to buy him a chocolate mint frappuccino. Fuck Ricky. It was a trick. He's, he's, he's miserable about how overweight he is right now. And I, I knew he was going to puss out and get a water. So I, I made him fatter. <laughs> I'm evil. Okay. I guess that's kind of evil. What about a few minutes ago when you asked Sheila where she got her pentagram necklace? Said it looked good on her. I didn't seem very evil. Seemed kind of nice. You fool. I said that to flirt with her because, you know, I know how sad it would make Darnell if I fucked her. <laughs> evil. Now stand still. I need to kick you in the balls for questioning me because I'm so evil. Thank you, leader. I knew you were evil. Hail Satan. Uh, animal sacrifice, physical sexual abuse reported to be common. These groups, these cults, these cults are very rare, like extremely rare. Uh, a lot more conspiracy theory than reality. Uh, yeah. Uh, two more groups of, of cults. First is the family cult or, or one-on-one cult. One-on-one or family cults are based in belief of one's partner, parent, or teacher uh, above all else. Generally, an intimate relationship is used to manipulate and control a partner, child, student, or, you know, plural, or children, students who believe that the dominant, uh, you know, this, this person, this mentor has special knowledge or special powers. Often there are severe and prolonged psychological, physical, and sexual abuse. Practices and influence techniques include pleasure pain syndrome, promoting self-blame, excuse me, induced dependency, induced fear and insecurity, enforced isolation, battering, other violent acts, incest, or deprivation. So, so much gross. You know, very, very small cult. Technically a cult in those situations. They don't have to have a name to be one. They have the same elements. Last group, uh, uh, subgroup uh, is the cult of personality. Cults of personality rooted in a belief that reflects the charismatic personality interests and proclivities of the revered leader. 
Such groups tend to revolve around a particular theme or interest, such as martial arts, <laughs> uh, opera, dance. This made me picture um, some people like fucking way too into UFC. Uh, dance, theater, uh, type of medicine, even healing. An interest in a, in, in a podcast. He uses the word cult a lot. You know, like a like a cult of curious. <laughs> As a kind of kind of a cult. <laughs> let's let's skip this one. Uh, let's get on to the next part. Uh, so the source family combined many of these types, plus uh, you know so much drugs and sex. And of course, the sweet sounds of Father Yod's experimental jam. God, it's just right. Did you ever get enough? How much would you pay me to stop doing that right now? What makes people want to join a cult, though? Who are, who are these kids running from their families and into the arms of spiritual, you know, drug dealer daddies? We've looked over this idea in past episodes, but here, here's a little refresher. According to experts, no particular psychopathology profile is associated with cult involvement, in part because cults adjust the pitch, you know, to the personality and needs of their prospects. Although cult members appear to have somewhat higher rate of psychological distress than non-members, the majority seem, you know, to, to be pretty normal people. Uh, nevertheless, clinical experience strongly suggests that certain situational or developmental features appear to make people more receptive to join, you know, cults in moments, like a high, you know, current level of stress, dissatisfaction with their life, lack of self-confidence, uh, desire to, to belong to a group, naive idealism, fulfillment, the cult provides something that they're missing, a cultural disillusionment. All right, this plays into the subculture of the 60s, 70s, uh, frustrated with spiritual searching. Uh, for decades, there have been studies about the various mental issues that cult leaders and their followers have. Most cult leaders seem to have narcissistic personality disorder. Symptoms include an excessive need for admiration, disregard for others' feelings, an inability to handle any criticism, and a sense of entitlement. I think Father Yod fits all that perfectly. For the followers, most people who join a cult, uh, you know, just going through a mental crisis, the cult seems to offer relief or fulfillment. Many ex-cult followers have issues adjusting back to society, have a number of related mental issues. For the most part, the mental state plays an important role in people who join a cult or become a cult leader. And after watching the Source Family cult documentary, it is clear to me that a very specific type of person tended to fall under Father Yod's specific spell. You know, his pitch was geared to, to a person going through a, a very similar scenario. Um, almost all of the members, you know, were young people, possibly all of them. I don't remember a, a single person who didn't fit this mold. A young person with a poor relationship with their dad, specifically with their father. They craved a strong father figure. Also, uh, you know, someone with a, a, a poor relationship with their family overall. You know, they craved a loving family unit. The source family and Father Yod provided them with this. He was the dad they never had. He gave them the family they didn't have. You know, he was also the dad who fucked a lot of them, which is, you know, a dad you're not supposed to be. You're not supposed to have that dad. Uh, now that we've investigated the baby boomers counterculture, looked into what kind of cults there are, what kind of folks join cults. Let's look at some of the cults people had to choose from in the late 60s and 70s. Uh, time suckers may remember the People's Temple from Suck 34, right? The Jonestown Massacre. The People's Temple of the Disciples of Christ, as it was properly known, was a religious movement founded way back in 1955 by Jim Jones in Indianapolis, Indiana. But it didn't really get going until the late 60s and 70s. Jones hit Berkeley, San Francisco, and L.A. in the mid-60s, preaching a message of socialist, communal living, became a civil rights leader who stood up against a white racist government on behalf of predominantly black following who exploited sexually, as most cult leaders do. He portrayed the American government and its capitalist desires as the enemy of African Americans and of hippies, right? And this uh, played directly into counterculture beliefs. And then his cult died in a mass suicide that he directed by drinking poison flavor aid in South America on November 18th, 1978. The next cult movement revolves around an Eastern guru. Rajneesh Piram was an, an intentional uh, spiritual community based in Wasco County, Oregon. 
that was briefly incorporated as a city in the 1980s, populated with Rajneeshis, followers of the spiritual teacher Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, later known as Osho. At his peak, Osho had a global membership of about 100,000 people. Great Netflix docuseries about this called Wild Wild Country, by the way. Holy shit, I thought it was well done. So many really well-produced documentaries and docuseries out there. Man, special shout out just to documentary filmmakers in general. Appreciate what you do. Uh, this cult, such a golden era, it feels like, for documentary filmmakers right now. This cult created a theocratic city in rural Oregon built by the followers of Rajneesh that at one time had thousands of residents, had its own fire and police department, plus restaurants, shops, 4,200-foot airstrip, unsanctioned casino, the third largest public transport system at the time in the state of Oregon. We should probably do a suck on it at some point. Uh, the Rajneeshis ended up fighting the government and then they lost everything. How's that, how's that old saying go? They fought the law and the law won. Seems to be how, the, how, how they ended. Uh, the Children of God, another widespread cult. It's founder David Berg, creeptastic, Jesus, uh, told members that God was love and love was sex. So there should be no limits regardless of age or relationship with sex. Berg's cult spread and claimed to have 10,000 full-time members in 130 different communities around the world, you know, in the 1970s. Uh, there's another cult, that's, uh, or this is another cult that's already part of the Suckverse, episode 104 from September 10th, 2018. If, you wanna, if you're not familiar and want to check that out, David Berg, uh, man, that creepy-ass pedo wizard makes Father Yoda look like a saint. Uh, there's other cults out there, you know, that we've talked about that were around at the time. Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate was an American UFO-based a uh, religious uh, millenarian cult, you know, uh, that kind of w- went all over the place, founded towards the end of the source cult reign 1974. They ended up in uh, San Diego, California after the source was done. They were led by Marshall, you know, uh, Bug Eyes Applewhite, and also before she died, uh, Bonnie Crazy Pants Nettles. Doe and T. 39 members committed mass suicide in the belief that it would bring them aboard an alien craft that was passing by, you know, the earth. Uh, you know, this, this craft was floating behind the Hale-Bopp comet. Most famous of all the cults, probably the Manson family. We sucked Manson way back in episode 18 of Time Suck. Probably need to suck him again someday. Suck was comparatively pretty light on info back then. Manson family was a desert commune and cult formed in California in the late 60s, led by Charles Manson. They had about 100 you know, followers who lived in unconventional lifestyle at the, at the height of the cult, a habitual use of hallucinogenic drugs. Like so many cult leaders, Manson wanted to be a rock star or Jesus or both. Fast forward and people you know, famously died because of this weird fucker and his weird followers. Just like Charles Manson, Father Yod really wanted to be a rock star, wanted a record deal. It shows how badass rockers, rock stars are, right? Even cult leaders want to be rock stars. And just like Charles Manson, no record label will be given uh, to Father Yod. Or <laughs> no record deal will be given, man, which is crazy. I mean, how can music so undeniably good not get a record deal, not be played on radio stations ever? How could you not hear this on every station? I, I did mention this is their best song, right? This is their very best song. Fucking hours of that. In addition to the cults I just listed, there were obviously tons of other cults that none of us have ever heard of. Uh, as we'll explore in the Time Suck timeline, there wasn't any flavor aid suicides in the Source family or orders for followers to murder anyone. Comparatively, they weren't as destructive as those other cults. But as I said before, that doesn't mean that Father Yoda was a good dude or they were a good cult, not for the overall health of the group. In the end, e- even this cult would have guard towers, guard towers containing young, untrained hippies with machine guns. Uh, Just about to get into that Source family cult timeline now. First, last bit of context. Let's look into what drove James Baker to become Father Yote. And that was his fascination with the new spiritual movement in the West, the Eastern Gurus. Before we explore the East, another word from a sponsor. Today's Time Suck is brought to you again by longtime Suck supporter, The Great Courses Plus. 
A lot of time suckers also now using the Great Courses Plus, which makes me very happy. Have you ever heard the phrase, you don't know what you don't know? Well, the Great Courses Plus is the perfect place to help fill in those gaps. Learning doesn't stop with this online streaming service. There are thousands of lectures on virtually any topic you can think of, all presented by top professors. You can dive into the human brain, nuclear energy, pirate wars, play guitar, figure that out. You can can look into the philosophy of Tai Chi. The Great Courses Plus app makes it easy to watch or listen anytime, anywhere. I recommend checking out the lecture Violence and Cults from the course Thinking About Religion and Violence in this awesome 29-minute lecture. The key characteristics that make make a group a cult, including a desire for authenticity and a new pattern of life that breaks with mainstream culture are laid out. You know, a little alternate info to what I laid out earlier. They use uh, fundamental Mormonism, China's Falun, Falun Gong, and the Solar Temple as ways to explore why some religions provoke violence and others practice it. They have lectures on everything. Expand your mind. Uh, sign up for the Great Courses Plus. I've arranged for my listeners for Time Suckers to get an entire month for free. When you sign up today using the Time Suck special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. Link in the episode description. Make it easy. Sponsor button link in the Time Suck app. Now let's learn ourselves a thing or three about gurus. In the late 60s and 70s, new streams of Hindu religious life were flowing into the U.S., especially into Southern California. The term guru or spiritual teacher became a household word and following a guru was, was damn near as common as joining the gym is today, as weird as that may sound. Becoming a swami or a guru didn't require an academic degree or actually any book learning at all. It only required a deep spiritual insight an insight confirmed by the authority of one's own guru. As you might imagine, some gurus were a little looser when it came to bestowing the title of fellow guru to their students than others. And suddenly, there were a shit ton of gurus. Also, pretty easy to fake being a guru. I remember that cult talk I did earlier? That took me, you know, what? Nothing to think up. If you had half a brain and you could master a few yoga poses, figure out how to do some meditative breathing rituals, some chanting Memorize a lot of Eastern-sounding catchphrases and vague spiritual lessons. Grow your hair out. Grow a big beard. Buy a guru outfit. You know, wear a, wear a white or an orange or a purple robe or some shit. You could probably trick a bunch of white American Judeo-Christian kids into thinking that you were some spiritual master. Father Yod was essentially one of these gurus. Uh, let's take a brief look at some of the real gurus, the real leaders of Eastern spirituality that came to America while Jimmy B was beginning his spiritual quest uh, among the first Eastern spiritual leaders to arrive in the U.S. was the Marishi Yogi, a student of a very hard-to-say school located in the Himalayas. I, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I wish you'd say this. The Shankarakachaya Joshimath. Fuck, what? Fucking, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so long. Shankarakachaya. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. It's just a fucking ridiculous word if you were raised in America by very white parents. Uh, Marishi became the famous guru of the Beatles, started the Students International Meditation Society, or SIMS, in 1965. He was the first to popularize a discipline of meditation he called TM, short for Transcendental Meditation. Marishi also insisted that this was not Hindu. It was a scientifically valid way of improving one's health, sharpening one's concentration, decreasing one's stress and anxiety. And he was right. 1975, Dr. Herbert Benson of the Harvard Medical School monitored Transcendental Meditation meditators confirmed that there are physiological benefits to the hypometabolic metabolic state, there we go, <laughs> once achieved when properly performing transcendental meditation. And the TM movement continues today. And what it describes is a secular and not specifically Hindu form. Right? Those who practice it benefit from reduced stress and anxiety, improved sleep, greater sense of clarity and 
productivity, lower blood pressure, uh, greater sense of calmness throughout the day, reduced cortisol, lower risk of heart attack or stroke, improved brain function and memory, smaller vagina, thicker necks, uh, tiny wrists, uh, extra toes, ability to float for small distances, uh, opening the third eye, closing the fourth eye. I rambled at the end there, but you know everything before improved uh, memory was legit. Teaching the benefits of TM. Someone like Father Yod could make you think that he's healing you or making you feel better because he was, but he could make you think it was because of some kind of secret spiritual powers. You know, he has God powers, but he, he didn't. He just figured out how to breathe correctly and calm his mind. Now he's passing that knowledge on to you and act like he fucking thought of it. Another impactful early teacher, active at the same time, was a, a guru with the name, uh, thought up by Satan himself. Swami AC, again, I wish you could see these words. They're so long. Big red line. You know, even my the pages that I use for notes is like, what? This isn't a word. Bhakatavanta uh, Parubhabhadata. Okay. Teacher in India had instructed him to carry the message of Krishna to the West. Uh, this is the guy who founded the Hare Krishnas. Those are the guys that, you know, wear orange robes, used to hang out LAX and some other airports around the country, sell weird books on subjects like yoga, meditation, elevating your consciousness, opening your third eye, alienating your friends and family, a lot of crystal talk, uh, how to dress like a silly asshole and what looks like orange pajamas, how to give a proper stink eye to anyone you catch eating meat. Uh, Swami AC opened a storefront temple on 2nd Avenue in LA, which was America's first Krishna temple of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, ISKCON. The movement began known as Hare Krishna because of its members annoyingly publicly chanting the words Hare Krishna fucking over and over for hours which would make me want to stick my finger right in their third eye. If you, if you thought <laughs> that last part was bad, check this out. This is the kind of chanting they would do. I'm not kidding. For several hours in a row. Mm-hmm. Like that? Is that relaxing to you? Do you feel more spiritual? Do you feel closer to God right now? Three hours. Fucking three hours in that video. Nothing but that. One dude. Three hours. And then so many comments of people like, oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> to each their own. Oh, uh, no, thank you. Unlike other Eastern groups that emphasize meditation or yoga, these guys focus on emphasizing the devotional love and service of Lord Krishna who's a major deity in Hinduism, the god of compassion, tenderness, love, and apparently super annoying chance to go on forever. Uh, somehow this religious sect attracted a dedicated group of young hippies. The Christian temples of the late 60s and 70s were all devotional communities in which a daily round of pujas honored Lord Krishna and his beloved Radha with incense and bells, oil lamps, and flowers. A lot of work. It's a lot of song and dance, a lot of super long and repetitive chant sessions that would have me calling the police if I lived next door to those motherfuckers. I mean, if, you, if you're like, oh, man, it doesn't, feel, doesn't sound like you're being very religiously tolerant right now. Well, I, I don't have to be. I, I you know, I have, a, I have opinions on all this stuff. And I think it's weird not to share them. And also, stop kidding yourself. If you're like, oh, man, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Okay, imagine them living next door to you. There's fucking 40 people in the backyard of the house next door. All day and night. Over and over. <laughs> How long till he snap? I would make it one day. For fuck's sake, it's fucking midnight! He was saying the words Hare Krishna nonstop since six this morning. He heard you. He already heard you. Shut the fuck up. Right? You want to practice your beliefs? You want to express your beliefs? My new belief is I got to shoot fucking people with a slingshot who say that word more than four times in a day. Okay? That's my religion. It's the wrist rocket. I worship the wrist rocket. 
<laughs> some gurus attracted people to them with their extensive knowledge of different kinds of yoga. Swami Ashatatata, ah, these words, I, there's no chance. Uh, was a very influential and especially bendy yoga master. That's how, you, that's how you know someone's close with God, by how bendy they are. Did I mention I can't even touch my toes? If I keep my legs straight, not even close. That's how you know I'm one of the devil's minions. Not bendy enough. Anyway, Swami Shatatata helped, uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to be an asshole. I'm really not with these words, but I, I have no chance. There's no chance at it. Uh, Swami Shatatata helped to shape a yoga-related spiritual trend in the United States, which culminated in him actually speaking at Woodstock in 1969. In addition to gurus from India, there were American-born seekers who were also becoming gurus in the 60s and 70s. Names like Alan Watts and Terrence McKenna, even Timothy Leary come to mind, as does Richard Alpert, professor of psychology at Harvard University. Alpert found his guru during a trip to the Himalayas, would afterwards transform himself into a guru named Ram Das. Thank you for fucking keeping it short and sweet. Ram Das drew on both Hindu and Buddhist dharma to articulate a teaching of service in a growing organization called Siva, which means simply service. So basically, it was starting to be cool for white dudes to be gurus. And that gave Jim Baker an in. Uh, we're almost at the timeline where we can really meet these folks. But first, let's learn a li- little bit about the guru that Baker liked the most, the one he followed the most. Baker fo- followed several gurus, was interested in tons of new age shit like the astrological age of Aquarius. Clearly, he named everybody fucking Aquarius at the end there. But the one piece that most likely led him uh, down the cult, cult leader path had to be his own spiritual teacher, Yogi Bhajan. And before we learn a bit about Yogi Bhajan, what is the age of Aquarius? Because I've heard this my whole adult life, it feels like. And I've never bothered to look it up before now. In a word, uh, horseshit. It's a bunch of horseshit. Seriously, it's fucking, it's nonsense. There is no age of Aquarius. And I know some of you are being like, you're, you're irritated right now. Yes, yes, there is. Yeah, okay, in a sense. But listen, assigning time units uh, of measurement, you know, um, it's an imaginary, con- like how we choose to define time. It's an imaginary construct. You know, planets rotate, suns burn out, tides rise and fall, but there's no real ages. It's just these terms. You know, we, we like to quantify time's progression to help give structure to the chaos of the universe. The age of Aquarius, I, I, there's no part of me believes that the universe, or you have to believe in the universe itself, having this consciousness based on how we rotate around it. I, to me, it's just semantics calling it that. In my opinion, of course, there's others. Here's how it's defined on a, on a, on a, on a crystally type, you know, somewhat academic website. An astrological age, also known as a great month, refers to the position of the sun from our perspective in relation to the background star constellations at the time of the vernal equinox. The vernal equinox on March 20 through 22nd, you know, sometime in that little window between uh, March 20 and 20 of every year is the point at which the sun's arc across the sky shifts from the southern hemisphere to the northern hemisphere, marking the beginning of spring in the north and autumn in the south. Currently, the constellation behind the sun at the vernal equinox is Pisces the fish. However, this has not always been the case. Due to the uneven tug of the sun's gravity on the northern and southern hemispheres of our slightly pear-shaped planet, the earth has developed a very slow circular wobble in its axis of rotation. This wobble is known as a precession. The north and south poles move in a slow, gradual circle over a period of 25,772 years. This means that in a few hundred years, Polaris will no longer be our north pole star as the northern axis will have drifted a few degrees along the circle. This also means that the constellation behind the sun at the time of the vernal equinox will also change, as the plane of the equator will shift along with the Earth's axis. The next constellation after Pisces will be Aquarius, the water bearer. So we'll be looking at stars from a slightly different angle. And some people think that looking at the stars from a slightly different angle will change the world immensely 
and I'm clearly not one of those people. Some astrologers assert that the movement of the vernal equinox across this imaginary border of the celestial sphere will, will somehow bring great upheaval to human society, cause the rise and fall of civilizations, the expansion of global consciousness. It'll change family structures. It'll usher in a, a new global utopia or a fascist Orwellian nightmare. And I think these people are fucking Looney Tunes. But they're out there. They believe in this shit with all their hearts. And if you are someone who believes in that stuff, well, then someone like Father Yod, rambling on and on about the age of Aquarius, you know, that might've greatly appealed to you. That might've uh, helped him drag you into his little fuck cult. Uh, now that I've properly offended the members of several different important belief systems, <laughs> let's move on to Jim Baker's main guru, Yogi Bhajan. Yogi Bhajan, former customs inspector at the Delhi airport who became both a spiritual leader to many Americans who followed his version of the ancient Sikh religion. Also a highly successful entrepreneur. Yogi Bhajan's full name was Harbhajan Singh Kalsa Yogiji. And he, I think I kind of got that right. And he introduced an ancient and arduous form of Indian yoga, uh, Kundalini yoga to Americans. And uh, Kundalini yoga is more active than the more common Hatha yoga and is practiced by thousands of people across America. He also introduced the Sikh, you know, Sikhism uh, religion to the U.S., but with twists that apparently start, uh, startled traditional Indian Sikhs. For one thing, yoga is a Hindu practice, not a Sikh one. And the Sikh religion opposes Hinduism in many ways, especially its caste system. Also, Yogi Bhajan insisted that his followers be vegetarians, although Sikhs are meat eaters. But Bhajan more than retained the Sikh tradition of being a superb warrior. He mobilized his followers into a security company called Akal Security that guarded federal courthouses and army bases and apparently took in more than a billion dollars one year. Dude was mostly a businessman. He made a lot of money selling people, you know, philosophy and th theology that he had kind of twisted from his home country, then dumped the profit, you know, of that into some business enterprises that didn't require him to wear pajamas in the park and hum and chant with long-haired American teenagers and, you know, and fucking do this. He created a ton of yoga centers, launched the Golden Temple Natural Foods Company, a yogi herbal tea operation, soothing touch health and beauty projects, products like Line and Peace natural cereals. Yogi Bajan met with two popes, two archbishops of Canterbury and the Dalai Lama. He was a big fucking deal. In New Mexico, he's a substantial contributor to both the Democratic and Republican parties and former Governor Bill Richardson apparently ordered flags flown at half-staff in honor, uh, his honor when he died on October 6, 2004. And when this kick-ass entrepreneur and spiritual leader admitted that he was not God, Jim B Baker was done with him. We mentioned that earlier. That was uh, when Jimmy B made a conscious decision to take what he had learned and become an even more powerful leader. One of Father Yod's future followers remembers Father Yod speaking of his journey to becoming a God-man. Apparently, Father Yod told him, it was like opening up the newspaper to the want ads. An ad in there that said, man wanted to play the role of God. And I went down and got the part. I went down to the audition and they gave me the part of God. The follower continued by saying, and that's what he was devoted to do, to play the role of God. And based on what I've seen about him, it, that seems pretty accurate. Okay, so that was a lot of context, but there was uh, a lot that needed to be understood to understand how a cult like the Source family could come into power. A bunch of hippie kids, primarily raised in Christian, authoritarian, baby boomer households, broke away from their Judeo-Christian roots, wandered out into the world where it seemed like everyone was trying to do something different. All kinds of new ideas floating around, so many ideas. It, and it was cool. It was hip to pursue these ideas vigorously. Open your mind, man. Open your mind to all these new ideas, many that are hard to understand. A lot of these young hippies had a hard time figuring out who the real spiritual teachers were and who the phonies were. There were so many spiritual teachers, so many gurus, and there was lots of drugs, lots of free love. Most of these kids probably just wanted the drugs and the free love, you know, and putting on a cult robe was just the quickest way to access that for some. 
A lot of these kids also, you know, uh, left or had been kicked out of or, or had run away from their homes. They'd been shunned by their families. They craved a new type of family. It was the perfect time for a man like Father Yo to start a cult capitalizing on all of this. So he did. Now let's check out our villain, Father Yod, in today's Time Suck Timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a Time Suck Timeline. July 4th, 1922, Father Yod was born James Edward Baker Jr. At the stroke of midnight in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cue the spooky, he was destined to become a cult leader of music. James was raised alone by his mother, Cora Baker. His father was James Edward Baker Sr. James Jr. wouldn't grow up with his father around as he abandoned the family almost immediately. Man, shitty dads. Seems to be a real theme in this suck. Stick around and don't be dicks, dads. Bad shit happens when you leave or are an asshole. As a Depression-era kid, Jim grew up fast, made a name for himself to his size, athletic ability, and passion for healthy living and nutrition. In 1936, at the age of 14, it's said that James got into, you know, caring about his health after a bad case of hemorrhoids. <laughs> All right, well, whatever whatever works, I guess, if I can get you moving in that direction. Uh, James would be assisted throughout his childhood and mentored by his surrogate father figure, Paul Bragg, the founder of the Bragg Company. These two would spend a great deal of time together, and James would learn a lot from Paul. According to Bragg family members, Paul was very proud of James. He was like another son to him. James excelled in sports, and it's reported he was, he was a young weightlifting and judo champion. Some reports say that he was a national champion in judo, but we couldn't verify that. There are photos of a young teenage James Baker, all muscled up and flexing. He did look pretty damn athletic. Uh, Paul C. Bragg, known as the father of the health movement in America. He's actually credited for starting the very first health food restaurant and retail outlets in America as well as several other firsts, like Bragg was the first to introduce pineapple juice and tomato juice to America, as well as health food products like herbal teas, health beverages, vitamin drinks, seven grain cereals and crackers, health cosmetics, health candies, calcium, vitamins and mineral supplements, wheat germ, digestive enzymes, you know, from papaya, herbs and kelp seasonings, amino acids, soybeans. You can still buy some of this shit. You can still buy Bragg health food products today, like, like Bragg liquid coconut aminos, all-purpose seasoning. I have no fucking idea what that is. But it's something that's real. It's in a real bottle. I don't know what it does. Probably regrows limbs. Probably cures like, you know, if you get like pink eye in your third eye. Or if you get like third eye nearsightedness or something. Probably clears that up. Uh, Baker met Paul Bragg at, at the Bragg Health Crusade in Cincinnati, Ohio, when Paul was given a cooking class. Many of Paul's ideas would be deeply ingrained in Baker. Patricia Bragg, the daughter-in-law of Paul Bragg and childhood friend of James, would later say that James was a very handsome man at six foot four inches tall. He could have been a Hollywood star because he was so charming, outgoing, and the perfect host. She also went on and on during the documentary about him, like just kept talking on and on about how much women loved him. Uh, she clearly had a thing for him. Uh, isn't a surplus of information on Father Yod's childhood and, and, and uh, upbringing, nor is there much info about his parents. 1938 or 1939, when James is 17, he supposedly graduated from Chicago's Swedish School of Massage. According to this man's legend, just after graduating, he got his first big job at a local factory, married the boss's daughter, woman named Margaret, had a daughter named Peggy. And there was almost a zero we could find about Margaret or Peggy. Then, still 17, Baker apparently lied about his age to join the Marines so he could fight in World War II. And what did Baker do during World War II? It's really hard to say. It's hard to trust the stories about Jim, uh, James Baker or his followers. You know, the stories his followers tell uh, about him. feels like a lot of myth building has gone on. Father Yod claimed to have gotten shot, uh, shot down, or I'm sorry, Father Yod claimed to have shot down a whole shitload of attacking Japanese fighters from the deck of the sinking USS Chicago in his former life at the Battle of Rennell Island. His followers recalled Baker telling stories of himself single-handedly 
taking down between nine and 14 separate fighters and bombers while the ship sank. No big whoops. Just went full fucking Rambo for a few minutes as a godman does when needed. And you know what? I wasn't there and I've never served in the military, but it seems like a bunch of bullshit. Seems like a, like a little bit of stolen valor happening right here. You know, no one saw any of the medals he would have, you know, uh, I would think for sure of God. He did claim he got a, a bunch of medals. You know, no one saw a military uniform of his. You know, there's no pictures of him from the service that I could find anyway. No one ever met his old war buddies, nothing. James later came up with a really uh, pathetic excuse for not getting these medals. He said he actually did win the Medal of Honor for his actions. Highest and most prestigious personal military decoration that can be awarded to recognize U.S. military service members who have distinguished themselves by acts of valor, but he wasn't given it because he was in the brig for breaking the rules all the time because he's a bad boy. You know, he, he fucking he broke out of the brig to shoot down all those fighters and bombers while the ship was sinking. Mm-hmm. Sure he did. Yep. I, I fucking killed 35 people earlier today. They were trying to rob a store and, and hurt some kids. I just fucking, I did it. I didn't even stop my truck. I just pulled, I didn't even look because I know it's dangerous not to look where you're driving. So I kept looking and just by, by fucking sense of evil, I just, uh, I had a machine gun. I keep on the, on the, on the passenger seat and I just, rah, rah, just fucking lit him up. Prove me wrong. You weren't there. Uh, he was a hero and a rebel. I wonder how many teenage girls he learned into bed with that bullshit story. Uh, there's a variety of lists out there on, you know, uh, different websites about Medal of Honor winners. He's not on any of them. Uh, it's reported that Father Yod would tell his over-the-top stories, and the general attitude towards him was, man, you couldn't make that shit up if you tried. It has to be true. Yeah, you could. Why do people say that ever? It's so fucking easy to make shit up. Have you, have, you've never tried to make something up? I mean, have you heard, heard of Harry Potter? That's made up. It's not, a, it's not real. It's not, not nonfiction. People make up crazy shit constantly. I've made up a lot of stuff in this podcast. You know, I tell you about it afterwards so that you still trust me, but you know, according to source, source cult followers in later interviews, Father Yod told them that not only he was, was he a Marine, but he was also an expert in martial arts. Of course he was. He probably told at least one person that he taught Bruce Lee everything he knew. Uh, he claimed to have once walked right into some Marine headquarters and declared that he was going to teach them. Hey guys, hold up. I'm going to teach you how to do martial arts properly. All right. Does that sound reasonable to you? Does that sound how life works? I don't think so. After the war, which he, married, he very well may have actually fought him, but I don't think he did the things he claimed. Baker returned to his home in Cincinnati, opened a gym. They quickly, quickly became popular. People called it Baker's Gym, but it wasn't enough for him. James had bigger dreams. The problem was he had a wife and a kid standing in between him and those dreams. So he left him, just like a man of God does. He would later say that, you know, God wanted him to find new children. Not even kidding. Uh-huh. That sounds like God. At some point in the early 1950s, he would leave Cincinnati for California. By all accounts, this future vessel of God never visited his wife, Margaret, and their daughter, Peggy, ever again. He supposedly rode into Hollywood on a motorcycle, quickly auditioned for the role of Tarzan in an open casting call. There is some evidence that he did do a screen test for that role, but he didn't get the part. Then during the rest of the 1950s, there isn't a lot of easily accessible information out there about uh, Mr. Baker. There's rumors uh, that he, you know, did a bunch of traveling on his motorcycle around the country. There's rumors that he was one of the founders of the Beatnik movement. That seems like a hyperbole and legend again to me, though. Uh, he was a known figure in the American counterculture scene. Baker allegedly did work as a stuntman in Hollywood, although other reports said he tried, but it didn't work out for him. Uh, also <laughs> said his legends that he robbed between two and 11 banks to finance his future restaurants. Mm-hmm, sure he did. Rambo, martial arts legend, very successful bank robber. You know, I, I, I would say that he also probably told people that he had a 12-inch dick, but thanks to his documentary and a lot of naked scenes with him and the other hippies, uh, nope, I'm gonna say hard no on that. So Actually, soft no. I'm gonna go with a super soft no on that. 
Uh, during this time, he also claimed to have uh, cured a Samoan tribal chief's ailing, ailing daughter through dietary remedies. I can, yeah, sure. Why not throw that in there? The more I learn about this guy, the more I, uh, I feel like maybe he didn't tell the truth exactly all the time. 1955, Baker would open his first health food restaurant based on the teachings of his mentor, Paul Bragg, called the Aware Inn on the Sunset Strip. Very crystally. The same year, he allegedly judo-chopped a neighbor to death, right, who came at him with a knife. Well, get out of here, I'll judo-chop you. Uh, found a few other sources that had this occurring in 1961 instead of 1955. This altercation supposedly had something to do with the knife-wielding neighbor's pit bull. Baker was apparently cleared in the name of self-defense, and I don't buy it. I'm buying this. If you watch this documentary, his followers all seem to buy it. Sometime in 1962, uh, Baker opened a unique and successful sandal shop in Topanga Canyon. People loved it. Uh, as the beatniks rolled along into the 60s, they started to dissolve into the counterculture movement as the elder statesman. Baker began hanging out with a group called the Nature Boys. Uh, they lived a proto-hippie lifestyle, a barefoot granola munching and ultra-natural lifestyles. This one became a vegetarian Another famous nature boy is Jack LaLanne, early American fitness and health guru, big time juice guy in his later years. Jack also mentored early on by James's mentor, that Paul Bragg fella. Around this time, James met his second wife, Elaine, who like his previous wife was apparently born without a family or a last name that anyone gives a shit about. Internet doesn't give two fucks about these first two wives. Uh, James and Elaine would bond over stu studying the Hindu Vedas together. That's cool. Yeah, that's exactly what Lindsay and I do. That's how, that's how we bonded when we first met, fighting old, old Hindu Vedas. You know, that's what people do when they're worldly and cultured. No, I'm not familiar with the Vedas. Uh, around this time, Baker fell uh, under the sway of Philosophical Research Society founder Manly P. Hall's Eclectic Mysticism. Hall's book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages, sounds terrible, uh, would be the future Father Yod's unofficial source family teacher's manual. Yet another influence. Elaine and Jim would have three sons together and just like Peggy back in Cincinnati, pretty soon they would get in the way of James's plans and he would stop giving a fuck about them. Uh, he would completely abandon his new family just like he abandoned the old family. After the success of Jim's sandal shop and his first restaurant, the Aware Inn, Baker opened another successful restaurant called the Discovery Inn in Topanga, west of Burbank. He would continue to forge his spiritual path. Famous guests of the Discovery Inn included Cary Grant, Warren Beatty, Beatty, Lucille Ball, Clint Eastwood. While he became a more and more successful LA restaurateur, he also got more and more bored with his marriage, right? He began drinking heavily, doing drugs like speed and LSD. He also began cheating on Elaine with some of his clientele, including supposedly TV actress Jean Ingram. And then in 1963, apparently, uh, James's affair with Ingram came to light and ended when James killed Ingram's jealous husband with fucking two judo chops, ta-ta, to the neck, pa-pa, and put a bullet in his head just to be extra fucking badass. At least that's a story. Supposedly, Jim initially went to jail, but was freed after three months once it was determined that he had acted once again in self-defense. And again, I do not buy it. Uh, this, is, this is written in numerous articles about the Soros family, but the, it's the same vague details just repeated over and over again. I feel like one person made it up and then it just got repeated by the other you know, articles. No trial dates ever given, no exact info regarding exact charges, no date of release, no obituary mention of Gene's husband being murdered, no mention of you know this husband at all, no articles about it online in any way, shape or form. There's just a few sentences about him judo-chopping and shooting this motherfucker. Uh, I do buy him leaving his second family around this time, though. Probably was God's will for, you know, for him to let more kids grow up without a father. Uh, later, Baker started another restaurant, the Old uh, World Restaurant in Beverly Hills and another one in Palm Springs, both of which served healthy cuisine. Both were very successful. Uh, I did watch an interview with a guy, allegedly, who worked with uh, James at the Old World Restaurant in Beverly Hills, a guy who did not join his cult and a guy who really didn't seem to think a lot of James. I thought he was full of shit. 
but not about owning those restaurants and not about them being very successful. In the late 1960s, Jim may have gotten married again, briefly. This third time to a 19-year-old French hippie named Dora. Jim was in his 40s, still doing a lot of LSD, speed, booze, you know. He was smoking a ton of weed. Jim started emptying the money from the register at the old world restaurants whenever he felt like it. Stopped helping them run the restaurants. One day, he he emptied the registers and bought himself a Purple Rolls Royce, brand new for $34,000. Baker's erratic behavior prompted his fellow investors in these restaurants to cut him out of his own restaurant. And then his new wife, Dora, was inspired to get the fuck out of his life entirely. Man, I can't believe those guys had the balls to cut him out of that investment. I I can't believe he didn't judo chop those guys to death. Cha-cha, cha-cha, cha Just a bunch of quick chops. Everyone's dead. I mean, did they not know who they were fucking with? I'm surprised he didn't rob his old restaurants and burn to the ground, you know? And then slowly walk away, you know, with his hair flowing, saying something super cool like, Sorry, fellas. Just needed to cook up one last meal. And I like my old restaurants like I like my steaks. Burnt to the fucking ground. You know, getting his Bentley, whatever, and his fucking... Oh, God. April 1st, 1969, Baker opens his next restaurant, The Source Restaurant, on L.A. Sunset Strip. Has a book and record store attached to it. Kind of a weird date open restaurant. April Fools, motherfuckers, I'm back. Ah, wait, damn it. No, I really, I am, I am back. It really is a thing. For real. I should have opened on on March 31st, maybe April 2nd. Uh, The logo for the new restaurant was the Masonic symbol of the pyramid. With the whole, you know, all-seeing eye floating above it, the symbol on the back of the dollar bill, but in full color. Which, of course, has led to various conspiracy theorists becoming convinced that the Source family cult was created by and for the Illuminati. This is about the time Baker also became a devotee of uh, Kundalini master Yogi Bhajan. 1969, Jim also began pursuing another 19-year-old girl named Robin Popper, who danced at the Whiskey Go-Go, partied with the self-proclaimed son of Aleister Crowley, Graham Bond, and his girlfriend Diane Stewart. She reported that she initially refused, uh, you know, kind of, you know, put off Jim's uh, advances to woo her, as she should have. He was 47, 28 years older than her. Comparatively, she was just a kid. Dude liked him young. God wanted him to have some, some young ladies. On the night of August 9th, 1969, Jim spotted Robin hitchhiking to her eight and a half month pregnant friend, Sharon Tate's house, invited her once more to come with him to one of Yogi Bhajan's, you know, yoga classes. I'm sure you probably remember Sharon Tate is one of the famous murder victims of the infamous Manson family. Robin reluctantly accepted his invitation, got in the car, got in the car, excuse me, the two stayed up all night talking about spirituality and getting to know each other. And then the next morning, Robin learned the shocking news of Sharon Tate's grisly murder at the hands of Manson family. And took that as a sign to follow a new path with Jim Baker. How fucking nuts is that? Her friend gets murdered by members of one cult. And that incident sends her literally into the arms of another cult leader. Part incredible coincidence. Also part indication of how many cults there were hanging around LA at the time. In May of 1970, James Baker and Robin Popper were married. Part of what drew her to Jim besides her seeing him as a prophet and her knight in shining armor for saving her from being murdered by the Manson family was that she'd always been unhealthy sickly actually and at one point it almost died then baker's healthy lifestyle and diet changed the way she felt and indeed made her feel a lot better robin would go on to become the mother of the family a huge believer and supporter of her new husband's work when he decided to walk the guru path a little bit later she she wrote chalkboard signs announcing his first meditation class spread the word about his spiritual gifts as far as robin was concerned she was living proof that her husband's teachings worked initially these teachings were based on the ideas of baker's spiritual mentor yogi bhajan like so many of these self-proclaimed spiritual teachers seem to do, Baker began channeling new ideas from the spiritual universe, which really were just, you know, variations on old ideas that have been out there forever. And you just mix and mash them together and then claim these ideas were the word of God. 
Baker had, uh, you know, really begun to kind of hone his guru look around this time, his flowing robes and his white beard. He had his big ass cane, like a, like a shepherd's cane and sandals. Made him look like a fucking weird hippie wizard. <laughs> Watch footage of this motherfucker strutting around LA in his flowing biblical shepherd type outfits, holding that big ass cane that's even taller than he is. Big bushy Gandalf beard. It's so over the top. If a dude looking like him tried to date my daughter <laughs> when she's 19, she's like, I would fucking run his wizard ass over. Uh, the more I get to know this guy, I don't, I don't care for him. March 1971, Jim Baker decides that it is his destiny to become a spiritual leader. This epiphany comes to him in the wake of a disastrous 90-day trip to India with 83 other yoga students and Yogi Bhajan, whose convoluted personal quest to acquire a yogi lineage devolved into a series of dodgy schemes involving the students as unwitting accomplices, cast a shadow on Jim's one-time spiritual father. Jim decided he was a guru now. He wrote a book his father yod called Liberation, the Tetragamation, or the Tetragamaton, it's fucking, it's a made-up word, the ancient and sacred name of God, together with his young wife, Robin. They created those 10 commandments for Aquarian age I shared earlier, commandments that he cherry-picked from the teachings of Yogi Bhajan and other spiritual leaders. According to Robin, they intentionally chose their favorite parts from a variety of teachings from Egyptians, Native Americans, even including uh, some teachings from the Atlanteans. That's fun. They took some lessons from people who lived on Atlantis, even though those motherfuckers never existed. And every lesson supposedly attributed to them is complete nonsense. How, how very progressive and open-minded and new agey. Uh, Jim's first meditation class was a success. And he soon began calling himself Father Yod. His Sunday meditation classes, that's a weird thing to do. I'm Father Yod now. Uh, the, the ten, you know, he started growing these classes. To go along with his commandments, the source family religion also practiced astrology, that whole age of Aquarius shit. They studied occultism, dabbled in a little Aleister Crowley sex magic. Crowley got sucked, you know, back in March 2018, if you want to check that out, if you haven't before, bonus episode 18. Uh, they took from various self-help teachings, took teachings from Kundalini Yoga and the Essenes, an ancient Jewish practice. They also practiced, you know, some Atlantean kind of woo-woo, fucking weird nonsense, uh, some free love, you know, some, some no-coming, tantrism, kind of mysticism sexually. Uh, they got into weird hippy-dippy vegetarianism. They would believe shit that like 50 minutes after you cut into an apple, you might as well not eat it because the apple's nutritional life forces had left its apple body. Elements of Freemasonry showed up in their teachings. They studied another Jewish practice called the uh, Kabbalah. And then in March of 1972, the family really exploded into a full-fledged cult. A lot of young, beautiful people had been flocking to the source restaurant and Father Yod's meditation classes. He had given many of them jobs at the restaurant. Part of the allure of the source was the uh, beautiful people serving and cleaning there. Yeah, you know, he knew these people. He knew he convinced them. He convinced some of them to go full cult. Many of them were living in their vans in the source parking lot. One day, Father Yo declared they should pull their money together and live in a giant house. And so that's what they did. One roughly 50-year-old white linen-wearing prophet staff holding bearded wizard motherfucker and a whole bunch of kids, most of whom were between 15 and 20 years old. In March 1972, the source family moves into a 15-room, uh, it's called the Chandler Mansion in Los Feliz, California. The home was formerly owned by the founder of the LA Times. Located close enough to the source restaurant that the staff slash family could easily commute by vehicle or by foot. And it became known as the mother house. Mother, we have a house. I can do what I want. And their neighbors loved them. Uh, JK, their neighbors hated them. Uh, they were not super stoked about having over a hundred half naked hippies running around doing yoga and chanting loudly around the fucking clock. Right? Because who would want to live by that? Nobody. Ah, this cracks me. The owners of the home would not renew the family's lease at the end of the year. They'd only be there for a year, but it was a, it was a big year for the family. A good year. 
During this year, Jim still lived with his young wife, Robin, initially, who's now calling herself Aum in the loft above the restaurant. But then after realizing the control he had over these kids living in the Chandler mansion, Jim moved in. Father Yod moved in, adopted the tried and true method of any megalomaniacal cult leader. He instructed his family members to hand over all personal belongings to cut ties with any flesh family, quote unquote, who would not join them. Cult, 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 cult. He goes fully to the dark side now. This, of course, did not sit well uh, with many of the parents of young source family members who sent police over on numerous occasions to follow up on statutory rape allegations, you know, which were happening. Uh, Father Yod responded to the charges by ordering all of the underage girls to get married because this could uh, get around that law. If they were married, they could be a little bit younger. You know, they had to get married if they wanted to keep living at the mother house. And so he assigned them into various parents. Attendance continued to soar initially with these Father Yod's meditation classes going on. Uh, soon Baker and his growing group of followers are now all dressed in the white shepherd type cotton robes and turbans. Following a rigorous, rigorous program of random spiritual practices. They had these morning rituals called the spiritual boot camp. These boot camps included elaborate breathing techniques, beginning with a single six-second bong hit of the sacred herb at 3 a.m. <laughs> Very specific. Marijuana was Father Yod's sacred herb, even though he would say it wasn't. He would say, quote, this is not pot. This is the sacred herb. Man misuses it today when it's used to serve the animal. Ballin's better. Eating is better. Music is better. Everything is better. Use it to serve the God and insight will come to you, for you are nothing but a channel, an instrument for the divine purpose of God. And uh, yes, he did say ballin. And by ballin, he meant having sex. Seriously, that's what you call it. The various speeches on the documentaries. Uh, ballin. Fucking <laughs> weirdo. These spiritual boot camps also included cold showers, which morphed into getting into their cold pool together in white robes, plus more yoga and chanting. They would also do push-ups, pull-ups, and other calisthenics together. Can't, can't have everyone in the family getting soft. Got to be young, fit, hot, and weird if you want to keep recruiting new members. Uh, more additions to the revolving faith, including getting rid of Western medicine and really anything based in modern medical science, which would really come back to kind of bite old Jimmy B in the butt later. And they uh, stopped having babies at the hospital. This time, only natural home birth from then on. Uh, I'd be willing to bet they weren't too keen on vaccinations either. Uh, there was also uh, magical visualization rituals started doing, like staring at the moon until the moon becomes blurry. And when that happens, you can see it when you close your eyes. And Father Yod would do that, and those who did it with him would, uh, would convince themselves that they had now all entered the halls of Amanti, a mystical place that resides in the center of the earth. Mm-hmm. A lot of his followers said that they went to the halls of Amanti with, with Father Yod during these rituals. Others would admit that they never did that. Who knew it was so easy to, to journey to the center of the earth? I had no idea. You just had to stare at the moon until your eyes got blurry. Wake up, scientists! Throw away your stupid machines! Wipe all those fucking dumb equations off your chalkboards. Throw away the chalk. Get the moon staring. That's how you get places. Uh, at some point during the Chandler Mansion stay, around a hundred of Father Yod's followers marched down in mass to the Social Security office and changed their first names to hippie monikers given to them by their new father. They all took the surname of Aquarian. Many also took the middle name of The. Not kidding. <laughs> they got names like Octavius. Octavius the Aquarian. Uh, some other names I forgot to mention earlier were Goddess, Rain, Olympus, Ajax, Galaxy, Mountain, Grape Soda, Door Hinch. I rebuke you, Plaque, Jupiter, Joe Equestrian Ween Johnson, Mother, Limp Shamecock, Too Little Too Diddle Pooty, Hoingy Boingy, Oofta, Oofta Two, Oofta Three, and Showbiz. Some of those are real. Some weren't. Uh, some of the members of the family 
uh, agreed in recent interviews that these initial years were some of the best years of their lives. Of course they were. Right at this point, being in the cult, it's like going to college. But there's only one class and super easy and the professor gets high with you and encourages you to fuck other classmates. Also, these cult members were eating healthy, high quality food, driving around in Rolls Royce, living in an LA mansion, a neighborhood full of mansions, living the dream. Life is good. At this time, the Source family was one of the most high profile and unusual of the many new religious movements proliferating in LA at the time. They, uh, or sorry, I already said the time. They became the it cult to be in, right? And suddenly scoring membership got harder. Potential members now had to undergo a period of sexual abstinence. Probably to make sure they didn't have any STDs. Uh, cross-examination as well as surrender all their material possessions to the group. They also had to wash dishes or do other menial labor work at the source restaurant, take a vow of confidentiality in order to partake in the spiritual teachings. And I'm sure if they were female, Father Yod had to look them over, make sure they were fuckable, right? And if they were male, he had to look them over, make sure they weren't going to cause trouble or cock block him, right? No alphas. Hey guys, not accepting any more alphas. Uh, just accepting beta males this time. An important source family bonding experience slash event interpreted by the fam as a miracle happened on April 7th, 7, 1972. It was caught on film and an edited portion appears in that 2012 documentary by Isis the Aquarian I watched, uh, again called The Source Family. Could have been staged, but here's the story. Two members of the family, a guy, uh, Father Yod named Sunflower, and then Heaven, uh, who were mentioned earlier, were, were married as part of the effort to dodge the statutory rape allegations. And then at age 16, Heaven had become pregnant. And on the day in April, she gave birth to a stillborn child with several family members around her. The umbilical cord had wrapped around the baby's neck. Images from the, that moment are of women crying, including heaven. And then Father Yod, in true hero fashion, grabs the baby, drops to his knees, prays aloud to God. He says, God, if you let this child live, I will never do anything but speak the word of God as long as I live. Then he took a deep breath and just, just blew into the motionless child's mouth, blew some God breath in there. And according to witnesses, within five seconds, the baby came back to life. And did that happen? Uh, maybe. And maybe it just was going to happen, you know, regardless of that little speech or not. Maybe he didn't even give that speech, right? The video is edited. You don't hear that part of the speech. You do see the baby come out to mom and it kind of cuts uh, to, you know, uh, not after not breathing for a second, you know, cuts to the baby being alive. You don't see the part where he's br breathing the magic life or magic, you know, breath back, uh, back into the baby. Uh, a few of these people, you know, there, obviously they did claim to see it happen. But these are the same people who would also say stuff like they had seen him shoot lightning out of his wizard ears. I'm not kidding. So I don't trust them as, as witnesses. You know, they, they also claim to have been essentially mentally teleported by Father Yod from the Sunset Strip to some other world. They would also claim to see vampires walk down the stairs after meditation rituals. Not, that isn't a random thing. Vampires, they would see. So, you know, I don't think they're the best witnesses. Real or not, this childbirth incident, or at least this story, cemented the idea for many of his followers that Father Yod was indeed a holy man. But then a short time later, Father Yo did something that would cause a lot of his followers to, to leave, a lot of followers who stayed, lost a lot of respect for him. Uh, being surrounded by all these beautiful young women, Father Yod's horny old man eyes wanted his body to do more than look at all these girls around him, all these girls who worshipped him, girls like 19-year-old uh, a 19-year-old named Susan, who he'd renamed Makushla. So Father Yo decided that God wanted him to have a bunch more wives. It almost always goes here, doesn't it, with cults? Amazing how many cult leaders eventually take multiple wives. The real cult leader is the ween. Weens, both clean and dirty, but probably mostly filthy dirty, have been in charge of a lot of cults. And Makushla would become one of his wives, creepily enough, at less than half his age. She's the one that he would consider and treat as uh, like, a, like a mother figure. Uh, Father Yod loved sex with teens. He was really into it. You know, it was tied with his awesome music as far as being his favorite thing ever. Uh, he was really into sex in general. He said when, when talking about the path of enlightenment, the greatest act of pleasure, what motivates the whole thing, let's get right to it, is balling. 
This is the final conclusion to any movie out there, is it not? Some ascetics on the path seek to just kill out of pleasure. They will not have it. It's a game. Play it. Not by killing pleasure. By using pleasure. Fearlessly. And again, I love that he just uses the term ballin. That's <laughs> the time. What a weird guru. Let's get to ballin. Pass the herb. God wants us to ball, baby. It's time to get some ballin' in. Uh, Father Yod's decision to take more wives deeply upsetting to source members, especially uh, many of whom existed in, you know, were in committed relationships. It was deeply, deeply upsetting to his wife, Robin, a.k.a. Aom, Aom, uh, decided uh, that she suddenly found herself sidelined. Or I'm sorry, she didn't decide. She suddenly found herself sidelined by his new uh, dozen, you know, uh, mostly underage spiritual wives. Actually, they would be taken like a baker's dozen. Sorry, some of the sources say 12, some of the sources say 13. In total, he had either 13 or 14 wives. Uh, she would say later in an interview that in 2012, uh, or in 2012, he might as well have skinned me alive. She told Father Yo at the time that she thought he was a dirty old man on a lust trip, and he was. She was promptly demoted from house mother to common wife among many wives for saying that. In interviews, many of the other women Father Yod had chosen as his council of wives felt terrible for Robin, but not terrible enough to stand up to Father Yod. Uh, the Source restaurant continued to flourish. The Source, it is claimed, made more money per square foot than any restaurant in the United States during a certain period of the 1970s. That's what one guy said, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, was printed in this trade magazine. Millions of dollars. And that actually might be true. Uh, it was certainly beloved by LA's elite, as we've already pointed out. At its peak, one claim is that the restaurant made upwards of $10,000 a day. Uh, between $100,000 and $300,000 a month. That'd be up to $1.8 million in today's money per month. That's a lot of kale. After being forced out of their 15-bedroom mansion by concerned neighbors that Yod's kids might go, you know, Charles Manson on the neighborhood, the Source family had to move from the luxurious mother house into a new home in the spring of 73. This time, interesting choice, uh, they picked a three-bed, three-bath house that 150 people would be living in. Mm-hmm. Three bedrooms, three bathrooms, 150 people. The cult called this new house the father house, which feels right. Feels like a dad move. Getting a three-bedroom, three-bath house for 150 people. Like, he just, like, popped up. He's like, yeah, that's what will work. I can do this. I can, see, I can see myself doing something like that and Lindsay being justifiably furious. What were you thinking? Three bath- bathrooms for 150 people? Hey, li- listen. I got a great deal on this place, right? And the guys can pee in the sink, whatever. It's just going to be one big fun sleepover anyway. Uh, since it was smaller, most of the fam had to sleep in stacked cubby holes that other members had made out of plywood. The style of living proved to, uh, you know, not be very copacetic to local housing authorities. Uh, with various governmental agencies from health boards to child services to, again, they like various housing kind of th- agencies like inspectors watching them. Uh, there was kids living in, you know, at the father house, the source family under the microscope. Despite these cramped quarters, the members of the group split up work, uh, you know, put the shower use on a schedule, shared duties running the restaurant, kept up on everyone's laundry, cooked, cleaned, you know, from the descriptions ISIS and other members of the commune would give, were actually pretty happy crammed together in this father house. And the father house is also where they got the band really going, where it really got cooking, cooking up some burners, so many hot jams. Music, especially especially psychedelic music, was the core of the counterculture movement. In 1973, Father Yod, even though he was now in his early 50s, founded what would be the musical wing of the Source Family Cult, which we talked about, you know, Yahuwah 13. They turned the two-car garage of the father house into a high-quality, sound-proofed recording studio. Father Yoda at one point gave Octavius and other members $30,000 to buy the latest, greatest, best equipment possible. Father Yoda was, of course, the lead singer and front man. He, yeah, it's not like God's going to fucking play bass like a jackass. You know, his message of peace, stoned love, and saying no to bacon found a melodic new outlet. I use the term melodic loosely. The other members of the band were Gin, Pythia, Sunflower, 
and Octavius the Aquarian. Uh, the first recording of Yahoo 13 released in 73 was called Kahutek. A lot of music came out of the Source family in a very short period of time. Of course it did. Uh, when a song lasts for about an hour and when you, and we don't have to worry about choruses or bridges or writing down any lyrics, you, you don't have to put a lot of thought into song structure, you can kick out a lot of tunes. Between 1973 and 1975, various versions of the family band with alternative or alternative band names like Father Yod and the Spirit of 76, the Savage Sons of Yahuwah and Fire, Water, Air <laughs> recorded approximately 65 albums worth of material <laughs> from 73 to 75. They recorded 65 albums of fucking shit. Well, yeah, which that's what you can do when you value quantity uh, over quality. Let remember, did you have you forgotten how good how good it was? 65 hours, and this is the best of that. Yeah, this is the best. This is the best stuff they put out. This is my favorite part right now, just because it's fucking quiet. Oh, thank God. That's my, the, the space in between tracks is actually my favorite part of their albums. Uh, what is the next song like? Okay. Starts off. This is better. Maybe I just had the wrong song queued up. Uh, okay. A little bit of a long interlude. I think you're supposed to actually play music. Just, are you going to keep just ringing the bell? Let's skip ahead. Oh, this is a very quiet song. Oh, there we go. Now we're back to being. <laughs> That's not a song. That's not a song. You're just fucking hitting bells. Oh, just fucking hitting strings. Uh, oh my God. All the 65 albums recorded, the band released a total of nine LPs full of their extreme psychedelic sounds, packed full of tribal drums and distorted guitars. Songs are recorded after meditations. They'd have meditations between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. And then they'd get to jamming. Uh, the albums were released on, a, on their own higher key label as limited pressing, sold exclusively in the source. Press. How pissed would you be if you bought one of those? Uh, some of the songs were completely unrehearsed jam sessions. Of course they were. Uh, others, you know, were a little bit more conventional rock songs. Whether the song was unrehearsed before recording or a song they actually put some work into, you always knew when you got a Yahuwah album, it was going to piss off a lot of people, anyone who listened. Uh, this god-awful band somehow landed a manager named Laurel Stearns who tried to get them a record deal. Uh, they would be denied by every record label in town. Of course they were. Uh, so in 1973, they decided to do the next best thing. They would just play some high schools. Uh, if they were going to get a record deal, they could at least go play some high schools and try and rec recruit some, you know, more teens. So Father Yacht could try and fuck them. That really happened. Uh, there, was a, there was a video of the group playing at Beverly Hills High School where Father Yod can be heard saying to the crowd of young kids gathered around him, I am the father you've always wanted. Oh my, oh my heck. Gosh dang, that's, that's pretty fucking gross. They played several other LA area schools, high schools, you know, even had some college gigs, including a show at UCLA. 1974 would be a prolific year for the Source Family House Band. They released eight albums, including their most popular record, Penetration and Aquarian Symphony. That's the one you just heard. Uh, one of the songs called Ho. Uh, let's skip ahead and see. Let's, let's just give it one more chance. Let, can we just give it one more chance? This is their masterpiece, you guys. This is a little bit from Penetration. <laughs> hey, back, just fucking whistle. <laughs> if you if you don't play an instrument, I I play I haven't played guitar for like the last year or two, but I've played it since college. And I'm not great. I'm not good. This would like this is so ridiculous. Like just have one person whistle whatever they want, and have another person just literally hit whatever strings they want. A little bit of distortion, and then they actually would put that on an album. I don't understand. Other album titles included uh, Contraction, Expansion, Savage Sons of Yahuwah, uh, the Lovers album. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that one's great. 
Okay. Cur- currently, one can can purchase. You know, uh, the there's a box set of thirteen thirteen CDs on Captain Trip Records, or you can just save a lot of money and just take a stapler and you can start slamming yourself in the ear with it. Father Yod's commitment to music didn't get in the way of his commitment to getting his wives pregnant. Father Yod believed that the Source family children would be the future spiritual leaders of the age of Aquarius, and a total of fifty two children would be born in the Source family in just a few years of existence. 1974, Father Yoda officially announced to his followers that he was God in the flesh, saying, I am here now to show you the way. I am the light. I am the way. I am the son of the Father, and the Son is like the Father and inherits all that the Father has. You, my sons, I pass it on to you. I'm going to start making announcements like that at home. Tyler Monroe, did you clean up Penny and Gigi's poop in the yard like I asked yesterday? No. Ah, how dare you defy Father God? Get out there and do it. Do it or the Father God will punish you. I know he will, for I am the light and the way. I am the Father God. And Father God just wants you to fucking pick up the shit, you know, before it rains. It gets harder to grab. It gets stuck in our shoes. August 14th, 1974, Jim and Robin, I mean, Father Yod and Aum, the Aquarian, have a daughter. They named Tao Aquarian. You'd think a new baby would have been good for Robin and Jim, but their relationship was anything but good at this point. She had actually gathered the courage to leave the family, but then returned with the baby in hopes it would change Father Yod's mind, convince him to stop banging all of his other wives. Which it didn't. Of course it didn't. The original mother of the family and the real mother of his child was less and less the focus of his affection now that he had had more than a dozen other lovers. After recording a fuck ton of albums with the band in a single year and not seeing any of them turn him into a rock star, Yahuwah's thoughts began turning to an insane, paranoid, doom and gloom scenario like the world would be ending soon. Isn't that how it is, these cult leaders? Right? They want to change the world. They want to do something real big and grandiose. And then when they kind of hit their limit, like when the world's like, no, we don't want your fucking shitty music. Get out of here. Right? You convince those 150 people, but that's it. That's as far as you get to go. That's when they seem to turn to look wanting the world to end. The world's not going to play their game. They want it to just go away. Sometime in late 74, Father Yod began to lose interest in his musical projects, became convinced that America was on the brink of a series of cataclysmic upheavals. He started making predictions that there was going to be a three-nation nuclear war, followed by earthquakes, tidal waves, volcanic eruptions. Things are getting dark in, in Yodland. Then the IRS came a-knocking on the compound door when it turned out Yod hadn't filed his taxes correctly or filed them at all for a while. Whoops. Uh, plus the neighbors, anywhere they went, didn't care for having them around. Father Yod's now hitting on all the chicks as well, not just as many wives, uh, tends to go for the youngest ones. Things are unraveling further and further. People start leaving, start thinking about leaving as the respect for him diminishes. In late 74, a newborn baby in the family develops an easily treatable staph infection and nearly dies. Father, The father uh, um, of the baby wanted to go get antibiotics, but the group peer pressures him into not doing that. They're against Western medicine. Come on, dude. Father Yod can just breathe some magic breath into the baby. Can just fucking wish the infection away. Can chant it away. <laughs> Let's get some more chanting in here. Uh, eventually, this dad decided to leave the cult, takes his baby with him, takes the baby to the UCLA Medical Center, where doctors, after hearing about how the cult did not want the baby to be treated, immediately notify police of suspected child endangerment. Father Yod, now he's feeling really persecuted. He's in an apocalyptic mood. He decides the cult needs to get the fuck out of California. Right? They don't like his music. They don't want to let him, you know, run shit the way he wants to run it. And so he says, yeah, we need to go to Kauai, over in Hawaii. Uh, The family's historian, Isis, would later write, we all sat in shock because he talked about it in the mornings. But he would talk about, uh, for hours, what he seemed uh, about wonderful fruits that we would all soon enjoy in Hawaii. And yell, mmm, after describing each one in detail. Lychees, mmm, mangoes, mmm, coconuts, mmm, mmm. Let's get to balling out there with those mangoes. We can just live on the sweet music I've made. 
On December 26, 1974, the Source family sells a restaurant. Their cash cow indeed moves to Kauai. Their goal was to one day soon open spiritual learning centers and health spas, but that's not, it wasn't going to happen. Hawaii did not want them. Kauai did not want them. Despite their supposed fortune, the trip to Hawaii nearly bankrupted the Source family, due in part to Father Yod's insistence to buy a huge boat for fishing and a private plane to spot the fish. Without the income provided by the restaurant and a relatively tolerant and supportive environment of L.A., the vision begins to fray at the edges. The locals, not super happy about this creepy sect of white robe-wearing weirdos moving into their community. Other hippie groups had already moved there, and many of them were on welfare now, were kind of a burden on the local system. And uh, as soon as they arrive, the family is uh, tailed and taunted by local police. A contemporary article from the local paper, The Garden Island, quotes Yahuwah desperately offering their services uh, to police the airports, to drive the uh, also unpopular hippie parasites. uh, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. The police are saying this. You know, the police are (laughs) saying they want to drive the hippies off the island. Uh, But then, um, oh, no, I'm sorry. I got confused here. Just the way I put my notes here. A contemporary article uh, says that they offered to, yeah, the cult offered to police the airports. They also offered to drive away the other hippie parasites. That's where I got confused. They, they, they would get rid of the other cults if the island would just let them. You know, if the authorities would just look the other way. A person writing into the paper afterwards says, uh, who are these Manson-type people? Father Yod calls the paper, asks for an interview. When journalists show up, he tells them, we are not the Manson family, and then talks to them about the uh, Source family's teachings. And then according to one family member, uh, within 24 hours, bullets are being shot at the house. So apparently, uh, his follow-up interview did not go over real well with the locals. Uh, things grow desperate quickly for Father Yod. Uh, he instructs his male disciples to trim their hair and beards, find jobs as soon as possible, but no one would hire them. Man, rough times. What's the point of being in a hippie sex cult if you can't even grow your hair out? Sure, the mangoes are tasty, but they're harder to enjoy with the buzz cut. Meanwhile, Father Yod becomes more detached from reality, including indulging in grand delusions of his own godliness before veering into rage and frustration over not being welcomed with open arms in this supposed paradise. Father, Father Yod believes the government's coming after him for his underage marriages and shady tax dealings. The paradise retreat quickly turns into a paranoid armed complex complete with guard towers and armed hippies. A recording exists of Yod addressing this saying, a 30-30 and a 45 pointed in both directions and justice is always there in the center with the machine gun. If the beast attacks your brother, what are you going to do? Then a male voice can be heard from the crowd saying, kill him. Yeah, shit's getting crazy. Why couldn't they just try and fucking chant things away? Just get out there and start chanting. Come on. I bet if you did that for like 40 hours straight, God would fix everything. You know, it didn't chant enough. A former member recalled this experience as out of control, like a runaway train. What we had envisioned and what became of that vision, it was like the difference was like the, the width of the Grand Canyon. In 1975, Yahuwah departs from the Hawaii group with a small entourage, searching for a new home for his family. Places like Thailand, India, Nepal, Egypt, Greece. Half a dozen other, you know, countries. So I guess they still had a little money after all. The remaining family members persuade Hawaii, the ones left behind, they persuade Hawaiian welfare authorities to uh, buy them plane tickets to ship them back to the mainland. They fucking bounce. They're out. Colt's almost done. 1975, after regrouping briefly in the much too expensive San Francisco, uh, you know, city of San Francisco, where they refurbished what they called a haunted mansion and where Yahuwah basically revoked the sexual privileges of his sons in a vain attempt to make them get jobs. They then gave up and decided to try Hawaii again. Man, things are getting less and less fun. No long hair and no balling. Why are we even here, man? Uh, Father Yod's spirituality starts to wane. He's visibly tired. He's depressed. He's no longer sexually interested in his wives. His God boner had turned into a, a limp pedestrian shamecock like the common man. Then in July of 1975, he tells some of his followers the truth. He says, I am not God. I am just a man. 
And they don't like to hear this. They disagree. Of course you are God, they say. Father Yod replies, I seem to be without power to move anything, to do anything. And his followers, not overjoyed to hear this uh, little switcheroo. I mean, they sold all their shit to be with this guy. They've been following him around the world. You know, many have married him, devoted their lives to him, had kids with him, all because they thought he was God or at least godly. Things are not working out for Father Yod anymore. He's tired. He's steadily losing followers. He's tired of fucking. He doesn't want to play his cult game anymore. A few months later, Father Yod finds a way to get out of the cult, finds a way to get out of raising uh, kids for the third time in his life. He commits what seems to be a very creative suicide. The morning of August 25th, 1975, started off pretty strange. One of Father Yod's wives, Makushla, wearing all black, which was out of character for her. Father Yod said to her and the others, uh, and this was tape recorded, you're appropriately dressed in black, Makushla. He said it in a way that immediately made her scream. Uh, they were very dramatic. Lots of screaming on these tapes. Uh, then he said, this is only natural for this is a returning home of the first golden age. So let's go flying, huh, Mercury? Mercury was the name of a family member who was really into hang gliding. Yod continued, you've got a big kite, big enough for me. The idea appeals to me, going up without any lessons. Several of the women in the crowd scream, cry on tape as they realize what he was saying, that he made up his mind to do it. As a group of the family with Father Yod and Toe begin to leave their new Hawaii house, someone comes up the driveway. As they pass Father Yod, he rolls down his window and reportedly says in Latin, Morteri the salutamus, which I guess means we who are about to die salute you. The group reached the high cliffs near their home. When it was Father Yod's turn to hang glide, Yod asked Mercury to launch him off the 13 to 1500 foot high cliff. There was a powerful wind that day. There are pictures and sounds of people trying to get Yod to reconsider. Don't do this. And as he requested, Mercury launches him on what uh, to me seems like an obvious suicide mission. Although he had never hang glided before, apparently he took off just fine at first. Then uh, like someone had flipped a switch, the, the, the wind dies. Father Yod immediately begins to plummet straight down to the rocky beach below. Witnesses say that Father Yod recovers control briefly, manages to glide out over the Pacific for a few moments before navigating back to shore only to crash land on the rugged beachfront of a native Hawaiian uh, Waimalano campground. When his many followers run to his side, they say he appears to have no serious injuries that they can see, but then Baker is unable to move due to probably breaking his fucking back from falling out of the sky onto a rocky beach. There are pictures, video, and audio of all of this recorded by ISIS. What's strange to me is how Father Yo doesn't seem to get upset about crashing and really hurting himself. He seems strangely relieved, very peaceful and relaxed. Several of his followers, mainly women's voices, you can hear them saying, we can, we can carry you. Do you want us to carry you? Yod replies, why move if I can't get up with my own power? You know what I mean? <laughs> I kind of like, you know what I mean? I mean, he's very casual about all this. Uh, then he would make some moans of pain and his followers would mimic the sounds, uh, even go into songs and chants. Uh, it's very weird, confusing. See, one follower asks, it will heal, right? Father Yod answers, transmute the pain. And his weird followers start chanting that, transmute the pain, transmute the pain. Father Yod then says, I thought that I was going to fly the kite but I guess it was God's last lesson he had to teach me. He seems very ready to die. Cult followers being part of a religion that was pretty anti-modern medicine don't take him to the hospital. He knew, that he, you know, he knew they wouldn't. They instead carry him back to the family house, try to fix him with prayer, chants, and meditation, which I'm sure was awesome. Like when you're dying, when, you're, when you know you're dying, how fun would it be in your final moments to hear this? Mm -hmm. just, just, just to spend the last hours of your life just over and over. Uh, Father Yod did die hours later around 5 p.m. As part of their beliefs uh, that when the body dies and it's time to find the river of life, the family kept his body in the home for three and a half days, chanting, Yad Hivayi, 
Yad Hivayi. Yad Hivayi. <laughs> Fuck, it's like some weird cultish sequel to Weekend at Bernie's. It's a dead guy laying around the house for three days while everyone is just fucking chanting still. It's so weird. Father Yod survived by his 13 spiritual wives and 140 or so spiritual sons and daughters, many of whom had already left the cult. Um, Dying might've been the best thing Father Yod did for his remaining children still with him. He left the earth before things could get worse, before he could orchestrate some mass suicide like so many other cult leaders, you know, had done. Most of his followers were still very young, were able to go on and lead productive lives. Without the charismatic leader, there really wasn't a mission anymore or a family and the source family uh, had disbanded completely by 1977. The original Yahuwah 13 band dissolved, though some of the members would rejoin later incredibly to make more music. Years later, they would write their best song, actually, I think, in honor of Father Yod. It's called God's Not Good at Hang Gliding. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't write that song. Uh, <laughs> but they did write more songs. The first recording after Father Yod's death by surviving members of Yahuwah 13, uh, then later called Firewater Air, was recorded in 1977, an album called Golden Sunrise. It was the first Source Family Band uh, record that featured the appearance of a family member and an in-house rock star and ladies' favorite, Sky Saxon, on vocals. Sky Saxon had been the driving force. What a great name, Sky Saxon. The driving force behind the seminal LA garage band, The Seeds, whose song Pushing Too Hard was a national hit and was later recognized as one of the essential precursors to punk music. Another 1977 Yahoo-related album featuring Sky Saxon was released called Yachtship Suite. The record was a private pressing, and except for Sky Saxon and other family member musicians involved, uh, they're unknown who else was involved. The sound takes on a softer, less acid rock tone with flutes and acoustic guitars. Most of the songs are ballads about Father Yod's death. It is somehow impossibly even worse than their e earlier music. Check this out. This is the new Yahuwah. Uh -huh. Oh my God, it's painful. Don't eat them. <laughs> Just making this up as I go along. Love the animals. Don't eat them. They're so high. Also, in 1977, the final Yahuwah related album, Yord Swip Sweet Part 3, would be released. <laughs> Only two or three original copies of that album are known to exist. Thank God. Hopefully, they're destroyed before they can be copied. Source family would reunite a couple times in the late 90s and early aughts. The first reunion in Hawaii occurred to finally scatter Father Yod's ashes on the 20th anniversary of his fatal flight. Sky Saxon collaborated with Japanese label Captain Trip in 1998 to produce a deluxe 13-CD box set that I mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, has, has, some, has some previously unreleased material, so you can hear the B-sides. Another Hawaiian reunion occurred with past members coming together to observe the birth of the Aquarian Age on September 17, 2001. 2007... Uh, the three surviving members of Yahuwah 13, Sunflower, Octavius, and Jin, were invited by Isis Aquarian and Jody Weil of Process to play in Los Angeles for the release of Isis and Electricity's History of the Source Family book. In the summer of 2009, Drag City Records released Magnificence in the Memory, Rare Cuts of Yahuwah 13 from the Archives of the Source Foundation. Also in 2009, Yahuwah 13 played to packed houses with enthusiastic crowds on the East Coast and in Canada. How the fuck do they do that? Maybe they did connect with some higher power. I mean, without God tricking people into liking it, how else do you explain people buying a ticket to see shit or hear shit like this? And your soul <laughs> will be free. Uh, my soul is going to be free of these motherfuckers right now. We're getting out of this time suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. 
What a trip. The Source Family Cult. Now you know the story. Even though the cult, for all intent and purpose, died with Father Yo in the summer of 75, some meat sacks are, are still kind of in it. A few, mostly living in Hawaii, still wear their white cult robes, still do their chants, still think of old Jimmy B, old James Baker, Father Yoda as father, without a hint of irony. Some people will, of course, say that they were just simply brainwashed, you know, looking for a daddy they never had, making them ripe for drug-fueled ravings of an out-of-control megalomaniac. And that, and that probably was the case for some. Others uh, clearly believe that they actually discovered something in the Source family that was just so goddamn enlightening that the average human being just isn't capable of getting it. A sentiment expressed again and again throughout all of the interviews, the documentary and, and, the, and the tell-all book, <laughs> especially watch the documentary, that was an annoying part. You can tell that they just, you know, they experienced something that, you know, just, uh, you just couldn't understand. They, they really did elevate their conscience. No, you just took a lot of drugs and uh, did a lot of weird group think and rationalized all your fucking weird chanting and stuff. Uh, some people moved on to other cults, which I find interesting. Omni, the Aquarius, is now living in Yelm, Washington, a student of Ramtha. That 35,000-year-old entity that speaks to the body of mystic Jay-Z Knight. Oh, we've talked about that in The Secret Sucks. So weird. Uh, guess some people are slow to learn their cult lessons. It's like, you, dude, you got out. And, and then you went and joined an even weirder cult. Uh, Electricity and Harvest Moon sell real estate together in Hawaii. <laughs> How'd you like that? Have Harvest Moon as your realtor. Uh, Zanaru founded an international group of stem cell researcher, uh, research and treatment corporations. He's a leader in that field. Uh, Magus, the Aquarian, uh, founded a software staffing company in 1978 and sold it in 2000 for $60 million. But don't let the success of some of their you know, former members think, make you think it's no big deal to join a cult. Other members clearly have never mentally or emotionally recovered from the death of their father. Uh, you know, they were not prepared to go back to the real word, world. Excuse me, Father Yod, you know, he, he was a phony. He didn't, he didn't know anything more about God than you or I. He even admitted it before he died. He was a rare co-leader to actually admit it. I think the main lesson here in this episode is the same main lesson that's in every cult episode. Don't, don't join a cult, right? Right? When the leader of some spiritual group tells you that they're God or that you have to sell your shit and give all your money, you know, to them to stay in, you got run, 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 or pick up a guitar and start making some sweet, sweet music, right? Or you can just jam, just fucking jam. Uh, time now for today's, oh God, so good. So good. This is actually pleasant. This is, I feel like that, what's the prison effect where you start to, you know, things get really bad and then something just not quite as bad happens. Oh, that's good. I like that. I've listened to so much shitty music. I'm like, I like, I like that. I like the whistling. That's, that's not as painful. Uh, time now for top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, this whole thing started with vegetarianism. Don't forget that. If you, if you get too much broccoli sprouts, asparagus, and kale in your diet, you start opening your third eye too wide. And eventually, you either play super shitty music or at least have to listen to it all the time, or you might even get fucked by a wizard guy. Number two, Robin was Father Yod's first cult wife. She was his legal wife, the mother of his child, very much helped design the religion that the source cult would follow. She understood the teachings, was truly seen as the family's mother, and in the course of a single afternoon, all that was taken away. She struggled as she watched the other women, many of them friends of hers, openly display affection with her husband and partner. It's clear in interviews with her in recent years that she was deeply affected and, and, and still affected to this day. And then also she was left with nothing after Father Yod's death. Man, cult leaders, one minute you can be everything to them, the next you're disposable. Why? Because they're narcissistic egomaniacs. Number three, this all started in the Los Angeles counterculture of the late 60s and early 70s like so many other cults. Why? 
showbiz. That's how they do it in Hollywood. Uh, number four, cult leaders love to sing. I'm going to do some quick math, some quick napkin math, and say that odds are, if you're going to date a singer in a band, the likelihood of you dying in a ritual suicide, wearing robes and goat's masks, increases about 6,000%. I mean, think about it. Manson was a singer-songwriter. You know, David Koresh, he did some singing. L, L. Ron Hubbard actually made a ridiculous album in 1982 called Space Jazz. Not kidding. I would play it here, but I, I feel like the Scientology would probably sue me. Uh, Jim Jones even had the People's Temple Choir. Father Yod, though, probably probably the best of them all. And by best, I mean arguably by far the worst. I mean, you you heard it. You, you heard it too many times today. And number five, uh, something I didn't mention before. After Father Yod's death, others did try to keep the group alive. Makushla, following in Father Yod's spiritual shoes, tried to keep it together in Hawaii for, for about two years. And then it disbanded, but then several family members purchased land adjacent to each other in the same place, continued to practice healthy living. Even Solomon, the baby that Father Yod allegedly saved, is living in Hawaii now, as is his father, Magus the Aquarian. Both have several acres of land they farm to this day. For them, I guess it did all kind of work out. Or sorry, Magnus the Aquarian, not Magus. There's so many weird Aquarians. Uh, when life gives you lemons, you know, you make lemonade. And when life gives you a shitty cult, you grow mangoes in Hawaii. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Source family cult has been sucked. You heard it. You heard the Godfather give you the information. You heard the wisdom. You saw the light. You were ready. You were ready to receive it. Man, life in the uh, <laughs> late 60s, early 70s, what a strange time to, to be alive in L.A. Um, fun time to be alive now. You know what? Thank you to the Time Suck team. Thanks to the Queen of the Suck, Lindsay Cummins, High Priest of the Suck, Harmony Camp, Reverend Dr. Joe Horsecock Paisley. Fire, man! <laughs> oh, God, you scared the hell out of me. Oh, my God. You terrify me. Thanks to the Bitelixer uh, Appazine crew. Joe, you're going to get a kick out of watching that part of the video later. I about jumped out of my chair. Thanks to Axis Apparel. Big thanks to the scriptkeeper, Zach Flannery, for helping immensely with the, with the research. If you want to meet more time suckers, I want to be part of the family. Keep seeing uh, more and more people out there want to be part of the word, be part of the light. Join the cult of the curious private Facebook group. Get a robe. Show up, man. Be balling, balling in the group. Over 13,000 meat sacks there. For even more social interaction, head over to Discord. Right from the Time Suck app, roughly 4,000 Discord members, a little over 4,000. Next week, uh, going mythological and historical. Suck the Greek gods. Gods, man. Can't stay away from them. They're everywhere. The major Greek deities ruled from the top of Mount Olympus, northern Greece, Zeus, you know, Dionysus, Hestia, Hades, others. So many gods to explore next week. You can bet your sweet ass. We'll be balling with those gods. Nimrod, Luciferina, Bojangles will show up indeed, children. Yes. Their legends will grow. Father, sure as you. Time now to hear from our growing community, our family. Time now to hear from the family of listeners in today's Time Sucker Updates. Updates? Get your Time Sucker Updates. And I'm back. That was getting uh, too easy to keep talking like that. Do I do that enough? <laughs> do that enough, it won't seem funny anymore. It's like, yeah, this is how it is now. Uh, quick time travel update from Time Sucker Elliot Lawson. Elliot writes, you mentioned several time travel themed movies during the recent Time Travel Time Suck. If you mentioned I missed it, my apologies. If you didn't mention it, the 1995 masterpiece, 12 Monkeys, starring Brad Pitt and Bruce Willis. Great movie involving time travel. 
Last year, I took my family to tour Eastern State Penitentiary, which served as the setting for the mental hospital in 12 Monkeys. Yeah, thank you, LA, for sending that in. I did forget about that. I haven't seen that movie in years, and now I want to watch it again. My God, that is a, that's one of my favorite Brad Pitt movies. Uh, that, I also really liked him in Snatch, that guy, Richie. Oh, man. Yes. Great recommendation. Another time travel update from Zach Watson. Zach writes, hey, fucker, I have a bone to pick with you. I took your stupid advice to close my eyes, spun in a circle, running backwards. You know what happened? I ended up in the goddamn 30s. I was 25 years old. Now I'm 115. I had no idea how to get back. I just had a baby. You know how shitty it is? You've grown up, all the cool shit we have, and then lose it. My wife thinks I'm a creepy old perv. You know, claiming to be your husband, she's reported as missing. Just thought I would let you know you ruined my fucking life. All jokes aside, I love what you do. Keep up the good work. Praise those angles. Thank you, Zach, for making me laugh. I appreciate that, man. Uh, funny, awkward update coming in from Time Sucker Dustin. Oh, yeesh. Dustin writes, well, fuck. Kudos to you, Suckmaster. Put me in a strange situation. You did? <laughs> Let me preface this by saying that I'm an atheist who works at a library at a Baptist university, so I'm already on high alert, walking on eggshells with my sense of humor. Among other responsibilities, I'm the evening supervisor at the library. My bosses had already gone home, leaving me in charge of the students and student workers. I was at my desk listening to the Josephine Baker suck, and well, shit got weird. One of our student tutors, a young lady, was sitting at the conference table in my office, tutoring another student, and who knows what. I'm listening to the episode on my computer. My headphones are plugged into the computer itself, which is underneath my desk. While I pivot in my chair to reach for something, and the headphone cord catches my knee, yanks the fuckers out of the headphone jack. Turns out it was perfect timing. And by perfect timing, I mean that it was just in time for the computer, not the headphones, but the speaker itself to blare out <laughs> in the devil's voice, allowing those dark titties to flop about. By the time I had it muted, it was too late. The tutor and the other student, the big black dude, looked over at me with visible, understandable concern. And my favorite part of all this, the student being tutored was kind of quiet for a second. And then Ernest as can be goes, you talking about titties? <laughs> I didn't really know how to respond to that. So I go, yeah, yeah, they're, they're talking about titties. I had to explain what I was listening to and all was well that I know of. Just thought you'd appreciate that. A little tale of the devil's voice screaming about dark titties and demons. <laughs> Penetrating the silent halls of a Baptist University library. Love it. Work can wait, Dustin. Jesus Christ, Dustin, that made me laugh so hard. Ah, uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much you send that in. Uh, finally, funny Bell Gunnis update coming in from uh, Jessica Jorajuria, uh, who writes, Dear Mother Sucker, Suck 150, Bell Gunnis and her murder farm has embedded itself into our home. As I'm sure you've experienced, kids sometimes like to watch the same effing show over and over. Well, for my sons, that movie is currently Frozen. Oh, man. I remember Monroe went through a huge Frozen spell when that came out. I was like right at the end of her loving those kind of movies that way. Uh, I don't care that it's a girl movie. I wouldn't even care if they wanted to watch it in sparkly dresses and pink high heels. The godforsaken repetitiveness of it is what is getting me. I want to thank you for easing this insanity of parenthood and giving my husband and I something to laugh about when we want to pull our hair out. Ever since my husband and I listened to The Bell Gunna Suck, all I hear is oofta, oofta, oofta in various parts of Disney's Frozen. I keep it to myself because it made me feel like, or I kept it to myself because it made me feel like a pervert for thinking it. However, when my husband saw me hiding a smile one evening, he whispered, oofta, oofta, in my ear. I had never told him I'd been thinking about Bill Gunness in the Wandering Oaken's trading post and sauna, so I completely lost it, like crossed my legs trying not to pee or drool kind of laughter. Since then, it's our sick and twisted inside joke that gets us through crazy nights of having two small boys, three and one years old. Thanks for strengthening our family ties through laughter. We both immensely enjoy the suck. Keep up the great work of spreading knowledge and laughter and the wonderful cocktail that is the suck. Hail Lucifina. Jessica from Arizona. 
P.S. Speaking of Lucifina, my husband made me promise that I would never say oofta, oofta, or put your dingy hangy in mama's warmsy holesy holes during sex. He does not think it would be funny. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Love it. Love it, Jessica. Oh, I hope we get another update where you've done that. And I want to hear how he reacts. And yeah, love the laughter, man. It is good to laugh. What a weird, crazy world we live in. You just got to laugh at it sometimes. I'm glad you guys like to laugh and learn and like to send in your nice messages to Time Sucker Updates. Thank you so much. Thanks, Time Suckers. I needed that. We all did. Have a great weekend, everyone. Try not to join a cult, but if you do, please don't start a jam band. But if you do, please start one a little better than this. If you are going to sing shitty songs, maybe you could at least sing about keeping on sucking. Do it, you You know, once you listen to it long enough, it starts to make sense. Notes start to fill your mind. I love and ballin'. Thoughts of higher consciousness. If you can play this and handle it, and eventually get a little chanting worked in. Really, really just kind of kicks things into a higher gear. Nah, it's fucking dumb. That's all pretty stupid. Judo chop those guys to death. Cha-cha, cha-cha, cha Just a bunch of quick chops. Everyone's dead. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.